Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday, December 25th, 2016. So I have been told. I hope folks are safe, constructive, uh, avoiding conflict uh, with all of the horror day madness. Uh, If you are amongst family, friends, people that you care about, I hope it has been uh, constructive, uh, enjoyable, uh, replenishing. Uh, It has been uh, a grueling year on the plantation. All of them are. Uh, Hopefully you all have been able to uh, Enjoy yourself, enjoy the day, at minimum, enjoy not having to be on the plantation, although I'm sure uh, some of our listening audience, uh, some folks had to work today. Everybody does not get white Jesus's birthday off. That said, we heard Mr. Fuller uh, from the archives at the beginning of the program. Certainly, you can go to ProduceJustice.com if you need a word guide, the code book, uh, both uh, materials. You can go there and place your order. Uh, always appreciate uh, the counter-racist logic from Mr. Fuller. Our broadcast for today, one of our favorites, uh, he's been with us uh, numerous times over the years, uh, dating all the way back to 2011. Uh, one of listeners' favorite guests, Dr. Niana Rasayan. You all can visit his website, eyesofma'at.com. Eyesofma'at.com. Uh, he had minor minor (laughs) issues happening with all of the madness uh, with the holiday. Uh, He will be just needs a few minutes uh, to get himself settled in. And then he will be joining us. Uh, We'll get his thoughts. uh, Tremendous. Well, I won't say tremendous, but I already stated uh, it was a gruesome year. uh, 2016 as predicted, uh, folks go back and listen to our end of the year uh, counter racist review. uh, When we, 
wrapped up things for 2015 and we were looking ahead at 2016. This was even before Dr. Welsing passed. Uh, I was saying and others that, you know, I thought just from everything that happened, the way that the year ended, it looked like it was going to be uh, a pretty terrible uh, calendar year uh, for non-white people, victims of racism. And then within hours, uh, we had the transition of uh, Dr. Welsing, just a lot of black people uh, who devoted a lot of their existence, their time and energy to addressing the problem of racism uh, and specifically trying to do constructive things for black people. Uh, we lost a lot of those folks uh, this year. So to get Dr. Rasayan's uh, words on their uh, transition, I think the last time that we spoke with Dr. Rasayan was actually live the night of the presidential election uh, back at the beginning of November. He was with us right as they were calling it live on the air that Trump had actually won uh, the election. So it'll be great to get some of his thoughts now that everybody's had some time to digest. Makes sense. I also want to touch on the Dylan Roof trial. Uh, I told him to give me a text. He texted me before. I texted him right as we were about to go on air to just give me uh, a text uh, when he's all settled and ready to roll. And uh, then we'll look to get him on the line. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I had one other audio clip that I wanted to share because um, I was kind of uh, not prepared to have uh, a little extra time to wait to get ready for Dr. Rasayan. However, I do have an audio clip that I wanted to share. And because I said this yesterday and this has happened before, uh, we have a pattern. We have a history of broadcasting. I've said this for years. Uh, the system of white supremacy, whites, they do not take holidays from abusing and terrorizing black people. We as attempted counter racists, we can't take holidays either. So that is something that I have done uh, for years and deliberately trying to do, make sure that we do programs on so-called holidays. Uh, Dr. Welsing has been with us before on quote unquote Thanksgiving. Uh, Dr. Cambon has been with us before uh, on Thanksgiving. Pam has hung out with us before. Uh, on Christmas, uh, Renithia Tate, we've had a number of guests uh, down through the years. Uh, on Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day, I think those are the two uh, two biggies uh, live with the Super Bowl. That's pretty much a holiday on the system of white supremacy. But uh, I do that sort of thing deliberately just so that we do not lose sight. Uh, racists, they have a lot of cues and signals on the calendar and elsewhere uh, to try to dictate to us directly, indirectly how we use our time and energy. We should have our own schedule about how we use our time and energy and what days are important to us and why we should be rethinking, rescheduling all of that. Uh, that said, uh, if any of the folks that are with us, if you have had constructive experience uh, or if just something noteworthy happened, I think that took place. Um, we did our Thanksgiving broadcast just last month. We had someone who uh, sent us a report uh, about racism during the uh, festivities. They unfortunately had a family member who's married to a white person and that ended up being a big uh, disruption when racism came up and ended up having a race soldier in tears uh, fleeing the festivities. Uh, but if folks are out there listening and if you're with your family, if you have something that happened you want to share, if you were able to have constructive conversation with relatives, man, definitely we want to hear that, what the context was. If just something interesting you'd like to share, feel free to get a hand up. Uh, in the meantime, as uh, we prepare for Dr. Rasayan to join us to share some of his views. Uh, this is one of my favorites. This is from uh, Mr. Fuller from December of 2012, no less. So this is almost uh, five years ago, about four years ago. We had Mr. Fuller on right at the end of the year. And uh, just this is one of my uh, favorite segments uh, where he's talking about racism, white supremacy. And again, same issue about uh, how racists, they dictate to us what things are important what days are important, how we should be using our time, energy, currency. And I mean currency in the sense of Dr. Kanban, where he talks about uh, the time that we have on this planet. That is your currency. 
uh, how you spend whatever days, how many days or how many years uh, the creator allows you to stay here. That's your currency. And how are you going to spend it? That's the sense that I'm using it. If you want to connect it to coins, how many nickels? That's fine, too. Uh, but the way that we use our currency, racists, they dictate all of that. This is about the recalibration of that for counter racist purposes. So this is Mr. Fuller uh, back in 2012. You can go in the archives and hear the duration uh, of the broadcast context of white supremacy. Neely Fuller Jr. We will be right back once the clip is over. I know you. I know your father, your grandfather. I had them in chains. You can get in each other's face. You can run around with your little nine millimeter killing each other. Don't you get in my face at all. I'll let you talk and act. Sometimes let you talk and act up to me. But remember, I'm letting you do this. Because I don't have to let you do anything, including breathing. And there's nothing can stop me. And you don't know anybody who's big enough to do it. So quit acting. And that's what I say in the books that I've written. We need to stop being actors. We're always talking about keeping it real as black people in the Northwestern Hemisphere. But we're the most unrealistic people on the planet. Quietly looked upon as a bunch of jokes. But people talk nice to us. Because they don't want to be bothered with us. They'll talk nice, but at the same time in their thoughts, they couldn't think anything else except these people are just about completely worthless as any creatures can possibly be. And how do I say that? I'm talking about this is the voice of the white supremacists now. Because I have made them that way. The only way they get to be worth anything is when I make them worth something. I tell them what they're worth. They don't know. They don't even know what to do with themselves when they get up in the morning, except what I tell them. Go here. Go there. That's the only time they make sense. Other than that, they don't know anything. And proof of it is I can say, hey, I'm going to make some hats out of hubcaps. I got surplus hubcaps in my warehouse on some cars that I haven't even manufactured yet. And I don't know what to do with those surf, surplus hubcaps. I don't want to throw them away. i got millions of them. But i got a bunch of black people out there who are just looking for something to do. They don't know what to do. They just look at this great big universe, the great big world, look up and down the streets. They don't know what to do or where to go at any given moment. So I always, as usual, find something for them to do. So the next thing I'll do is the little money I've allowed them to have, I'm going to take these hubcaps that I ordinarily would put on some cars, and I'm going to say that they are no longer hubcaps, that they are hats. And I'll have all these millions of black people walking around with these hubcaps on their heads. And give it a fancy name like uh, Zapsters 
and people will be asking, what's a Zapster? Hey, man, that's the new hats, man. I mean, you square. You don't know what's up. You don't know. You, you, haven't, you haven't bought you a Zapster yet? $800 a piece, man. I got two of them. My buddy got him at a discount. He works over there where they got the stuff stored. And some white supremacist, about 23 years old, right out of college, thought up the idea. We'll sell them to the black people. We don't have to throw them away. Call them zapsters. What's a zapster? That's a hat. A hat that black people wear. That's the identifying thing. They always need something to identify themselves with, as if their skin color doesn't identify them enough. They always got to have something artificial. Rhodes Mall, after help an officer call goes out, the reason, large crowds trying to get inside to buy the newest Jordans. All these cops came up here, AR-15s, it was fights, crazy. I mean... It really wasn't worth it. I mean, I wish I could have ordered them online at midnight. Internet was crashing, so I had to figure out a way to get them. Just a lot of pushing, shoving, excitement, ready to get in there and get these shoes. This is the prize. Jordan Concord 11s. Retail for around 175 bucks. Montgomery waited five hours. Fresh shoe. Holiday season shoe. Everybody had to get them, and I was lucky to get them. Same story out at Village Point. Large crowd gathering at finish line for one thing. They're a real popular shoe, and, and everybody wants them. And you see the demand for them, and there's just not enough of them for everybody. That's, that's the bad thing. Payne got out there at 10 p.m. The crowd quickly disappointed when the store ran out. Folks, they are out of the shoes. If you were getting your shoes in, you might as well go. Something that I made up. Or if they make it up, I'll be the one who will control it, and I'll sell it to them for the little money that I allow them to have and have them out here killing each other to have them. And a name like Zapster would be appropriate, too, because they'd be zapping other black people trying to get them. Put five shots in somebody and grab that Zapster. Keep it in the closet for about a week and then come out wearing it. A hubcap. That's the way millions of us think. Rather than say, wait a minute. I'm not doing nothing of the kind. I'm not going out and buying none of that stuff. I'm not going to even wear it if they give it to me. I'm going to start doing some thinking for the first time in my existence on my own. Now you're evolving from a traditional victim of white supremacy, slowly coming out of it and heading toward being a universal man and or a universal woman because they'll have some for black females too they'll be 
pulling each other's weaves off, fighting over in some big warehouse. Unless what? Unless they start doing some thinking on their own. I'm not trying. They should say, I'm not going to spend the rest of my days on this planet just trying to satisfy somebody else's idea of what I should be doing. What's fashionable for me? What's suitable for me? As a black person. Now, why am I saying all this? Hopefully, to have us think about something else other than what we're just taught to think. And what does that mean? Because Neely Fuller is saying it. Nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But it's something to think about. We need all of us, everybody, anybody on the planet, really, should be thinking about using their own minds. Everybody is an individual. You don't have to listen to Neely Fuller. Who's he? Just another victim of white supremacy. So you can listen to anybody and listen to everybody, including the white supremacists. Particularly listen to the white supremacists. Particularly when they Talk the way that I'm talking now. Don't get angry. Listen to them. Because these are the people who control everything. And make your evaluation as to what part of what they are saying, what you're going to do with it. What you are going to do with what they are saying, either to you or around you, even when they're talking to someone else. Listen. And that's one a major part of what I wrote the books for, the counter-racist codes. Black people spend a lot of time watching each other. It's not a whole lot to learn there that you don't already know. You need to listen to and watch the people who you perceive to be the smartest and most powerful people on this planet. And that's those white people who believe in white supremacy, who believe in mistreating people based on color. They are the smartest, most powerful people on this planet. Now, that hurts a lot of people's feelings, but I just made a statement that's either true or false. And I say it's true, and the evidence proves it. Just because it hurts somebody's feelings, doctors hurt people's feelings all the time when they tell them. I'm quite sure right now, as, as I speak, there's some doctor somewhere, right getting to the close of uh, the close of this year and going into an, another year by the calendar. There's some doctor telling someone right now, but with the shape that you're in, you won't make it within two months of the new year coming in. Now, who wants to hear that? The average person does not want to hear that. Some people call it the ugly truth. It's no such thing as an ugly truth. Truth is just truth. It either is or it isn't. 
And when I make remarks about the white supremacists being the smartest people, most powerful people on this planet, those white people who believe in mistreating people based on color are the smartest, most powerful people on this planet. Now, the, a black person who cannot face up to that truth and would rather believe that he's the smartest or she's the smartest has already shot themselves in the foot because they're running away from the main thing that they definitely need, and that's the truth. We all need the truth about everything. We don't need any falsehood about anything ever because that's what we have been fed, falsehood. And we have been acting on it. We have been told things are valuable that are not valuable. And we have been led to believe that something that's silly should be worshipped. And something that makes all the sense in the world should be avoided. And then we cry about the shape that we're in, which is understandable, if that's what we believe. Something that makes sense should be something embraced, should be glorified. The white supremacist says, if it's something silly, go down there and give it to black people. They love something silly. They relish something silly. They worship anything that's silly. And something that's serious and constructive, they avoid it. Like it's a plague. That's why we can control them. They are people who love foolishness. Anything stupid, they run right to it. Want armloads of it. And anything that will be of lasting help to them They disdain it. In fact, they'll use terms like, oh, you're acting white. Get away from me. You're saying something that makes sense. I don't want to hear nothing that makes sense. Talk some trash. I like that. You're not that way by nature, but we've been programmed that way, and the evidence shows it, which is why we're in the shape that we're in context of white supremacy the wild thing uh number one i remembered uh i remember most of the programs not all we've done over 1500 at this point not all sometimes it takes me a moment to recall things but uh, i remembered that one uh and it was uh not ironic uh but i've said the sense of timing at the cows, <laughs> almost like he was talking to us right now, because we are about to go into the new year. As I said, that was about this time, uh, 2012, uh, four years ago. And again, we don't take holidays. Uh, and Mr. Fuller does not either, uh, being on our assignment to solve this problem. Uh, and I think he eloquently hit every point uh, that I wanted emphasized just within that clip uh, and then I always get a good uh, laugh in uh, when he gives the segment about the uh, 
Zapsters. Uh, I have a video on the YouTube page for the program. Uh, with that segment specifically, uh, I just remember uh, cracking up laughing. And, and actually, I heard him do a program from like, that was in 2012. I heard him do a program that was from like the 90s. And he said Zapsters. <laughs> like, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, so they're like, oh, okay, he's been working on that one for a while. But Neely Fuller Jr., ProduceJustice.com. Uh, oh, we'll double check to make sure. Uh, Dr. Rossayan had said he would need a few more moments, just double checking to uh, make sure I'm not missing out if he's ready to roll. If he needs a bit longer, that's not a problem either. Yep, no text. I assume he needs a little bit more time, which he said he did. Uh, to the folks that are listening, uh, if folks, again, if if you have something interesting, constructive or just interesting uh, that you want to share about your holiday while we are preparing, uh, if Thomas in New York, uh, we missed him yesterday. There was some issue with the with the line. I tried to un or I thought I had unmuted him at the very beginning uh, and somehow his line was not uh, he was not able to speak. And then uh, at the end, when I got he had messaged me and said that. Uh, he had his hand up, but he wasn't, I guess we weren't hearing him. So I went to try to unmute his line again, and it still didn't work. So uh, Thomas in New York, my apologies again. If you are there, if you want to take this opportunity to share your commentary from yesterday, that would be uh, more than welcome. Uh, if not, in the meantime, uh, there is one thing uh, that I wanted to say, even Mr. Fuller there, and I pointed to Dr. Frances Chris Welsing, identified herself as a victim of white supremacy. Not a black nationalist, not an African, a victim of white supremacy. And she was asked that question specifically on the program multiple times. Uh, I think that term victim, I think, is so important uh, because it's not uh, frequently white people and many victims of white supremacy themselves have a problem with identifying non-white people as victims. I submit that that is, it's massively incorrect. That's number one, it's massively incorrect. Uh, and number two, it's a big part of us not understanding accurately and not articulating correctly the system of white supremacy. It's not that we're talking about something that, you know, uh, some white ancestor, uh, some whites from way, 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 way back, you know, at the time of Methuselah, did something, you know, hit a black person over the head. That's not what we're talking about at all. This is ongoing, everyday terrorism. I am being victimized right now. Every non-white person on the planet is being victimized right now. White people are planning about how we are going to be victims in 2200. They already got, they had, you know, their victimization, they already got 2017. They had that plotted out like 50 years ago. It's ongoing. It's not just that you were mistreated yesterday. This is every day, all day long. You having to prepare to go back to work tomorrow. That victimization right there. If you live in Flint, that's every day, ongoing victimization. And it's all areas of people activity. So, it, I mean, it's just a monumental error in the way that most people talk about, think about racism. And I suspect most people just think uh, my general experience has been overwhelmingly black people being repulsed at the notion of identifying themselves as victims. And I just contrast that. I see white people 
leaping up and down, saying that they are victims all the time, even saying that they are victims of racism. It is amazing. And I make sure to put the blame, appropriate blame correctly. This is how whites practice racism to make sure that we do not think of ourselves as victims. That is a major way that they confound and confuse us and it's flat wrong. They're plotting about things that they're going to do to us, killing our children, devouring our families and poisoning the water. They're plotting all of this stuff decades in advance, years in advance that they're going to be victims. Uh, so that's one. The other quick thing that I'll say, and then I will uh, gladly yield to Thomas in New York. I did not. I had forgotten that Mr. Fuller in that clip, because I connect that clip with just zapsters. <laughs> Racists just, you know, come in and put a commercial out and put a star in it or what have you and, you know, just get us to waste our money and our time and energy and what we value. They do this all the time. And I did not connect it with him bringing up white people being the smartest people on the planet. Uh, I did not think of that, but that was uh, that was grand to hear. And I would just like to say this for the record. Uh, I only have like a few things that I've said, like these are just rules, like do not use the word fair on the program. I've said that I cringe when I hear people who say uh, these are two cringe moments I have when people say I've been listening to the <laughs> they'll say. Greetings, Brother Gus. I've been listening to the cows a long time. That's cringe number one. Or when people are making a point and they'll say the same thing. I've been listening to the cows a long time. And I just want to say that's a fair. Those are two cringe moments. Like, oh, God. Number one, I have said, like, repeatedly and for years, please do not ever for any reason, for any reason, call me brother. Thank you. I've also said, please let us not use the word fair, Mr. Fuller eloquently breaks it down in the code book, which makes me think that maybe a lot of people have not read uh, those books, which I would strongly recommend. Uh, but he does a great job. And in fact, in the word guide, he devotes about a page and a half, which we've read on this program, like fully just to the word fair and why we should not use that word uh, in associating a term uh, that every day ongoing is associated with white beauty, correctness, logic every day, <laughs> uh, suggesting that the people that are worthy of correct treatment, people that are to be thought of as beautiful, uh, people that are logical are white. So, of course, black people cannot be any of those things. Those are two. Uh, on that list, also never bringing up Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson. I'm not interested in hearing any critiques of them. You'll have to find another show if you need to, you know, talk bad about those scoundrels. Uh, to that list, also, I'm not interested in like ever, 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 ever hearing anybody say that they think white people are dumb about racism uh, or dumb in general. All of that, I've never heard anybody who does not sound totally illogical it's just I have to tolerate like five minutes of nonsense when people get on there black people are the smartest people white people are really dumb there's no evidence of that at all and every single time and I mean every single time there is no one who could give me in it's nothing you could say while the system of white supremacy still exists to me the evidence of how smart non-white people are and how dumb white people are us putting them out of business. That is the only evidence that will satisfy that. And I will concede. Yes, they are dumb and they are out of business. Other than that, I don't ever, 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 
ever want to hear that on this program again in life. You'll have to find another program for that. It sounds exactly like uh, the film they were just talking about, The Attica uh, Rebellion, Racism, White Supremacy, all there. They had a black male. He's in the cell, greater confinement. White guard, of course. His toilet's overflowing. Can't get a shower. Victim of white supremacy. He has, uh, he has the code book for the jail. And he's like spouting all the laws about what he's entitled, his rights, what he's entitled to. And the guard just stands, the white guard is standing outside and he's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> all right then. <laughs> and when he gets tired of listening, he walks on and the black guy's yelling, you don't even know the rules. You don't even know the rules on the print. It says right <laughs> And the white guard, he just—he just throws away like you know, right on. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I will, I will be back uh, a little later on, maybe. Now, of course, they do have the rebellion, and they did kill some white people. Or actually, let me back up off that. They did resort to counter violence uh, and were falsely accused of killing some white people. I fell victim to it myself. They were falsely accused of having like slit white people's throats, and they made up all kinds of lies on them. That's a whole worthy of a whole program. The point being, that's what it sounds like every time. And I mean, no exception. I don't care who the person is. Every single person that I've ever heard talk about it. And I've heard this. I've heard this even before the cows existed. Like I know people that read Mr. Fuller's book. They got to that part where he said that and they threw the book in the trash and threw a tantrum and refused to read any more of the book and threw a tantrum every time his name was brought up from that point forward about that point alone, which is striking because Mr. Fuller said in that segment, it hurts a lot of people's feelings. I strongly recommend backing your feelings away when analyzing racism, white supremacy. This is not about feelings. We all have them with racism. We really want to look at things logically, accurately. And with that, I will gladly yield the floor to Thomas in New York. Uh, what have you to say? Oops. Yes, we got him. Are you there, Thomas in New York? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Um, man, you was dropping some um, you was dropping some hits right there, man. I teach my kids all the time. I tell them they, oh, that's not fair. I tell them, uh, 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 fair means white, and you're never gonna be treated white, so don't ever think you're gonna be treated fair. And um, that's just one of the things I do. Um, and um, you're right. Um. I, I took me a second to grab with that um, Mr. Fuller logic that white people are the smartest people on the planet, but they prove it every day. I don't see how anyone in the world would think otherwise. Um, everyone's under the system. <laughs> I don't see uh, anyone that's not. So I, I contend that they're um, twice as smart as everyone else. Uh, including the Chinese. People want to give the Chinese um, this credit. Um, oh, they're building all this stuff. Well, they're building white people's stuff. So white people, once again, smartest people on the planet. Um, I wanted to say that I was um, at work, and this um, they had a pizza party for the kids. They had, you know, all the little white kids come to work. And a few of the 
black people brought their kids. And um, this is at the account um, the insurance um, company. So this little three, four-year-old white girl, um, and here's my coworkers, you know, almost on his knees. Hey, how you doing? You know, the little white girl. And as she walked away, she said, look, mommy, he was black. <laughs> Just sorry for it. They teach them so young. <laughs> teach them so young. And she's trying to grab her real quick, like, you know, shut up. You can't, you know. And I said, that is a teaching moment right there. She's going to pull her in the office. Tell her, listen, you, know, you don't say that out loud. She's going to teach her. Um, I want to say um, also, I, w- I was trying to chime in on uh, workplace racism, too. And my line um, also went open. I don't know. I think it's white people interference, Gus. Um, hospital. Now I've counted since I worked there forty times, and I'm not. I've counted them. I crossed them off like how we used to play basketball, and you draw four lines and you write the line through it. Forty times that they've brought white people into the hospital, drunk or intoxicated, or overdosed on heroin or some type of other drug. And um, the police will bring them in, in handcuffs. And um, when they get them to their bed, they will take the cuffs off the white people. And then um, they'll give them like a speech. And, you know, I will be right back for you, and they'll leave. And they never come back for these white people. When they bring in a black person under the same circumstances, they were drunk. You know, one guy—he he was drunk. He passed out on the on the corner, and um, you know, I guess when the doctor was there, he sat there. There's some distortion in your line. I don't know if that's interference or. Can you, can you hear me? Uh, give us a few sentences. Um, yeah, I was saying um, in the hospital how when they bring white people in, um, usually when they're intoxicated or they're, they've um, had a drug overdose or they've had too many drugs, um, in those circumstances, they bring them in cuffed as they're supposed to. And um, somehow um, they, when they get to the hospital, they get to their bed and they uncuff them. And they, um, you know, give them a, a frightful speech like they're going to be co- coming right back for them, you know, and, and whatever. And they leave and they never come back for the white people. And I've noticed that 40 times since I've worked there, since I've started paying attention to it um, over the last couple of months, that that's happened. And under the same circumstances, when they bring a white, black guy, black people in under the same circumstances, they sit there the whole night with that person cuffed. So that at the end of the night, they can um, once that person is discharged, they can make the arrest. And um, I just um, like um, and I, just to give you a perfect example of how <laughs> I hate to say it unfair, <laughs> how unjust um, this system works. The, um, a white guy crashed his car into a pole. He was drunk and driving, and he comes in. And he um, 
they did give him the speech, you know, hey, man, you know, we're going to be back for you, you idiot, you know, you're drinking, you need to stop, whatever, they leave. And uh, he sits there and pees on himself all night, and then he gets up, and he's asking for some dry clothes, and they're like, hey, well, we got these paper clothes, you got to go out like you are, and he leaves. And a black man, he was passed out on uh, a corner, um, drunk, and or high, whatever, but, you know, smell of liquor. And um, they picked him up off the corner, didn't crash a car, wasn't harming anyone. And they sat there with him for eight hours for him to get discharged so they could arrest him for being drunk in public. And um, just to show you how unjust that whole thing works, 40 times, and I've never seen them bring a black person in cuffed and uncuffed them yet. Um, so um, that's just one thing I wanted to, to say. What I wanted to chime in about last night, was on when you said was talking about the parents, and I think it's very important for parents to teach their kids that unfortunately under the system of racism, white supremacy, uh, when they get in trouble or if something happens, there's gonna be uh, very limited things that mommy and daddy's gonna be able to do. So you have to be able to codify your behavior to avoid from letting having things happen as best as you can, and you have to expect certain things to happen. Because, um, unfortunately, um, under the system, you know, we're under it too, you know, and, um, um, it's going to be very limited things that we're going to be able to do, um, when they are, um, in certain situations, unlike white people. And uh, I'll meet my line on that. Thank you, guys. Wow. Very happy to hear. Uh, well, actually that was grand all the way around, but I was especially glad to hear you chime in on, uh, situation with the parents because I thought that was really uh, important dialogue from yesterday and glad to have as much participation from uh, attempted parents as possible uh, this I guess uh, retired firefighter we still have a few minutes uh, Dr. Rossian should be about 10 minutes uh, and he should be able to uh, check in with us uh, retired firefighter did you have commentary you were going to add sir yes sir I, I have I have a uh Zapters, Zapters like uh, uh, story uh, to uh, to share. Uh, I I recall uh, Mr. Fuller's uh, program. I remember tuning into that program, uh, and it was a, it was a classic uh, uh, learning of uh, of uh, of uh, non-white black people's behavior, our behavior. Under the global system of racism, racism, white supremacy, uh, it was a it was a nice, very nice, sunny, not too hot, not too cold day down here in uh, the part of the plantation that's called Miami Gardens, uh, and uh, I was in traffic on the uh, major thoroughfare. Uh, in Miami Gardens, uh, Northwest 27th Avenue, heading south. Uh, on the corner uh, next to the expressway, uh, there is a, um, what used to be a Royal Castle fast food restaurant. It went out of business something like in the 70s, I think, or the 80s. Uh, but other people have had, you know, uh, purchased the uh, building to, how's their business and whatnot. And uh, at this particular point in time, 
uh, I was in traffic, and I noticed over to my right this this long, very long line of non-white black people that was in this line uh, that wrapped around this small building, and actually the line was very uniform and went all the way down the opposite side of the street. Uh, and I said to myself, wow, what is this? What's, what's going on here? You know, uh, a very quiet, very orderly. Uh, and I got, I, I said, I gotta, I gotta see what's going on here. And so I, 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 I parked, I went and went around all these people and, and parked because the line was su- such a very long line and just sat there and observed. Uh, and I found out when I got closer, I saw who was actually in the line. It was, it was black males, uh, black females, quote unquote adults. And some of them were actually carrying children, holding children's hands. There was children in, in uh, baby, uh, baby seats, uh, quite orderly, not, not, not very loud or anything like that in the line. And uh, one thing I did notice as I was still driving in traffic, it was some young 20-ish uh, white males that was going back and forth across the street. Uh, and across the street is like a grocery store, a uh, convenience store. Come to find out what this line was for, free tattoos. Free tattoos. Literally, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, there was at least 150 to 200 people in this line. In this line, in this, in this line. And it was, it was like a, 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 a clinic in to the behavior that the global system of race and white supremacy have reduced us to as far as silliness and stupidity. Uh, in this line, it was like a real, a real uh, uh, a factor to to register uh, on what the global system of racism, white supremacy uh, has programmed us into. And when Mr. Fuller did this, actually was before Mr. Fuller made that uh, made that uh, uh, that, that uh, did that program. Uh, that it, it kind of like coincided in, in with with my real life experience that was very similar to what he was talking about. Uh, and, and it was really something that really uh, kind of like uh, solidified my understanding of things when he came, you know, uh, afterwards with that program and really solidified my understanding of, 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 of uh, uh, how we've been programmed in, in our behavior. And uh, so that, that, was, that was just something that I, I uh, wanted, to, wanted to mention uh, when you played that, uh, played that tape. But uh, today, today went, was, was, was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, I actually, I'm actually kind of proud to say that it's kind of normal on how it is easy for me to to have constructive conversation with my with my uh biological uh uh, uh brother and sister and sister uh on on the subject of racism and white supremacy i mean straight straight uh uh uh, uh, uh codified uh language 
Uh, and and I, I, I consider myself quite fortunate to be able to to do that. Uh, yesterday, the 25th, and we know what uh, some of us, some, some of us on what we do on that day, but uh, that particular gathering that I just left, um, I just came into my uh, uh, place of residence that I'm allowed to have a place of residence, came into uh, away from uh, my mother's uh, place, but uh, we were able to have constructive conversation uh, every time uh, we uh we get together. And so that's, that's very gratifying to be able to, to, uh, to do that. And those, those, those who are part of the family who are not so much into it, they don't, they don't negatively impact it by interference or anything like that. They, 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 they are in also in a listening mode, you know, also. So, uh, all in all, it was, you know, pretty constructive day, but, uh, that's what I had to share. Thank you. Grand. Glad to hear that. That is uh, that is great. I don't know how, you know, with the election and everything that's happened, although it does seem like it's racism has been a big public uh, issue for at least the last couple of years, maybe even three years, dating back to the whole Trayvon Martin murder trial. Um, but that's good. People are you know able to take advantage and have constructive uh, exchange with other family members. That is uh, spectacular. Even uh, even if we had any folks who took advantage and went out, checked out uh, fences, and because uh, racism is a significant theme in that film as well, Viola Davis is in it. Uh, Denzel uh, Washington, uh, he I think is in it, and he directed it. Um, racism is a big part of the film as well. So take advantage, take advantage uh, if you're able, uh, and have resources. I always say that as well. Uh, if people are receptive. Uh, you want to be like A plus ready to give uh, great responses, have your definitions ready, and then any material that you think would be great uh, to supplement. So if it's, um, in, and if you kind of know, the, like you're talking to family members, so if you know these people, if you kind of know, oh, this person is kind of into film, so this person likes to read or what have you, or the types uh, specifically of subject matters that they're really interested in. You know, this person is, is kind of into sports. Okay, so I kind of know, you know, some things that I can recommend, maybe $40 million slave. Uh, Bill uh, Roden, Bill Roden, uh, black male. I write that book. Have right. some have some resources available that you can, bam, or whatever their interest happens to be, that you can kind of guide them. Uh, if it's health, oh, maybe I can give them, uh, if this person I know they're kind of into health, maybe they were kind of looking at going to med school, Renelia Randall, dying while black, bam. You know, you can just drop something on medical apartheid, Harriet Washington. <laughs> you can drop something on them that you, you know, have reason to suspect that they would be interested in for multiple reasons, and then it's also got constructive information about racism. Uh, just kind of knowing the person to be able to have those resources, or if it's a movie, you know, they like watching television, have a movie uh, that they can pay attention to, maybe have a few questions or things they can pay attention to as they're watching. Oh, I can tell them to check out Black Mirror. Bam. Just be ready. Uh, if, if you got a non-white person's attention for racism, you should be ready to do your best. Have a codified response so you're already prepped. And I even know some people, they have like a thumb drive already prepared. And it's got like a list of books, films, uh, links to radio programs. Like, you know, they already have that prepared. So all they have to do, boop. Pop it in and there you go. Feel free to drop an email if you need a follow up. That's, you know, being more codified and just being prepared to share information with other victims of racism. Uh, with that, let's see. Checking in. Uh, I will message uh, Dr. Rossian and see if he needs uh, a little bit more. 
time to get himself uh, settled in. Uh, looking forward to getting his thoughts. I'm actually going to ask uh, Dr. Rasayan as well because he also is a parent. Uh, his thoughts, and he tends to be pretty well uh, informed about the news, current events, things that are happening. Uh, this conversation about <clears throat> about how parents respond, this was sparked because uh, we obviously and a lot of other people were talking about the situation in, uh, I think it's the Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas area. Uh, it was a black uh, mother. Uh, it was some race soldier, uh, white man, uh, like physically uh, assaulted her young son. I think her son was seven and she went out to confront him and uh, she called the police and the police officer, race soldier comes to white guy and he says, why don't you teach your child not to litter? That was the excuse that was given for why the uh, white neighbor uh, felt he had to physically assault this black seven-year-old. And so it, ends with the black female, actually two different black females, including this child's mother being uh, handcuffed on the ground. He points his taser at them. And so we were talking about uh, what is, you know, the best method for responding to that uh, as an attempted black parent. How do you deal with that? Do you call the police? Do you not call the police? We had a lot of people give feedback on that. That was where all of that began. I am going to ask Dr. Rossayan to give his thoughts on that as well, because I said he is a black parent. Maybe we'll ask a lot of uh, guests in the future. We can ask and, and see the ones who uh, have children, see the ones, you know, if that's something that they've thought about or did they have a code about that or, you know, how they think uh, would be what they think would be the best method for dealing with that. Um, before or while I am texting uh, Dr. Rasayan, um, Rob in Wisconsin, I think he was with us yesterday. He shared, uh, gave us great update. Uh, scholar doing awesome work, 38 uh, GPA and uh, striving for a four point, and that was even a down semester because he also shared that he had had a, a tough time. Racists had been trying to discourage him from uh, just being a brilliant black scholar, and he persevered, got his three eight, looking for the four oh next uh, semester. Uh, Robin, Wisconsin, are you with us, sir? You can put a hand up because I don't want to sift through the numbers. <laughs> if you're not, that's uh, that's fine. Or if you're not in a position where you can speak briefly, uh, that's fine too. We can chat down the road. Uh, see he might not be able to speak we'll address it down the road but he did share as well he was amongst the uh black parents who discussed yesterday uh for that exchange uh okay i'm going to text dr rasayan and uh, see if he needs uh more time so i'll have uh just to be more informed about how we're proceeding uh for the evening and hopefully we'll have him with us shortly to share his views uh, on white supremacy. Uh, I'm going to take a quick moment. I will play a sound clip uh, just so that I can free my hands up and uh, can concentrate to communicate with him via text uh, so I'll know what's going down. Let's see. I will get in. I will get in. I was thinking this will be great because I was thinking about revisiting uh, our infamous broadcast. We're coming on our eight-year anniversary, so this is reflecting on our time, our tenure on air. Uh, we had Dick Gregory on the program twice. The second time we had him on, it was to talk about uh, the Jasper, Texas incident, where James Byrd Jr. was dragged to death by three white terrorists. This happened in 1998. Um, we had Dick Gregory on because he opposes the death penalty and so he and other black people, they organized a rally. Uh, two of the whites who participated in that murder 
uh, got the death penalty uh, and have been executed. One of them actually was executed within like seven days of when Troy Davis was executed in 2011. Anyway, uh, Dick Gregory, he led this rally and was saying, you know, I don't I oppose the death penalty. Uh, kind of the same logic that Mumia Abu Jamal gave. So we had him on the program to discuss his views on that. And this the second time that he was with us, uh, he was discourteous with justice, in my opinion. And he stormed off the program before giving a long uh, tirade about me and the program, which is, you know, common. I mean, hey, join the club if you dislike Gusty Renegade or the cows or both. Join the club. Uh, but he gave his tirade. But a lot of it was about or I mean, it was exactly about what we're seeing now. It's the same uh, stance where you see a lot of sympathy and let's spare this white life. Uh, whatever justification is given, uh, whether it's just I flat out oppose the death penalty. So that means all the time. So that means this case, too. Uh, or we want to be above that. They go low. We go high. So we don't want to you know, be about, you know, an eye for an eye type philosophy. It's been a lot of that. Uh, rhetoric this time around, but that was the same issue. I, uh, I thought it might be noteworthy to revisit that program in light of what's being discussed now with Dylan Storm Roof. This is not Dick Gregory, but this is uh, additional information uh, about Jasper, Texas. Um, I think some of I have recommended a few times that people check out. Uh, I think it's Marco Williams, his documentary film. Oh, message from Dr. Rasayan. Let us see what the update is. Oh, okay. Let's see if he's ready to roll. We might not have a sound clip. We might be getting right to Dr. Rasayan. All right. Sorry about that. Able to get that off. We'll see if he'll be joining us directly. Uh, if not, uh, we'll go ahead and get our uh, clip together for Jasper, Texas. Even if we don't get the clip in, I would... Uh, definitely encourage people to check out that documentary it's called two towns of jasper they the reason the film is so great in my opinion is because they smartly recognize that white people generally lie to non-white people particularly when it's time to talk about racism so they got an all-white film crew to go to the white part of jasper and film the white people and then they had an all-black film crew go to the black part of town to film the black people and so the white people were very honest in talking about uh, the killing of James Byrd Jr. And they had uh, <clears throat> they have scenes from uh, the trial and they talked to some of the relatives. It's fascinating. You get a lot of information about the history of racism in the town. Uh, it's I would strongly recommend it. And uh, even the scene that I was going to play, it's like a uh, it's like a breakfast scene. And so they have this huge white family and they're talking ostensibly about James Byrd Jr., this black male who was dragged to death. And somehow the conversation veers to uh, what a drunken alcoholic he was and how many times I saw him drinking Thunderbird and stumbling down the street. And I don't know why he's got a park named after him to I used to say nigger all the time. And now my children get all offended <clears throat> and jump up and down when I say nigger like, oh, my gosh, daddy, you said the N word. And <laughs> talking about now. this is what they end up lamenting about when it started. Oh, man, this is so terrible. James, <laughs> it fascinating you should check it out uh and black male black male filmmaker uh marco williams uh two towns of jasper uh, should be at your library it got like a lot of a it was on pbs it should not be hard to find just go to the library I, that, I think that's how i watched it i just went to the library and have it on dvd you can check out the whole thing it's great uh okay uh moving let's see i'm still waiting on my response from dr rossian to let me know i guess if you're 
listening, if you're with us, uh, if you can put a hand up, press star six, and then one when you're ready to speak with us. That way I'll know you're all good. Let's see. Oh, okay. I think he should be ready to roll. Great. You can hang tight. I will nab your line. So I'll go. This is the clip that I wanted to begin the broadcast with uh, for today's program. So this will just bring on Dr. Rasayan and kind of put things in proper context. Uh, we're doing our oldie but goodies. I say we're almost on our eight-year anniversary, so this is supposed to be us reflecting on our tenure on air. So this is from 2010. This was Tim Wise's final visit on the cows has significance for the day, context of white supremacy. Our agreement uh, from January 2010 was one program per month uh, until July 2010. Um, we did not do a program for May. We did not do a program for June uh, per our agreement. Two programs. Um, Wait a minute, I thought we did do a program in May. <laughs> Has it been? It hasn't. It hasn't been since April. Has it? Hello. I can't. I'm not able to hear you. I'm sorry. I still can't hear you. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't hear anything. Okay, let me try it again. Can I be heard? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, outstanding. Uh, MacBook Pro again, ladies and gentlemen. MacBook Pro. But yeah, we we have not done a program since April of 2010. We had a program scheduled for May. But you had to assist some friends. I believe there was a flood. And right, you right, right. But I thought we did. I, I'm sorry. I thought we did a different one in May. I didn't realize that. Okay. Right. We, did, we have not done a program since April of 2010. So we missed two shows. Okay. Um, my proposal, since we did agree to do one per month until July, we missed two. Um, my proposal, I would like to table those two programs and make one of them Thanksgiving of this year and okay. Christmas. And the reason I would like to do that, uh, well, if you're willing, then I don't need to give an explanation. Is that, are you acceptable to doing that? On actual Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that because I have family stuff going on both those days. Okay. Um, I think both of those days are highly symbolic, highly important to the maintenance of racism, white supremacy, anyone who alleges to be a so-called anti-racist. That lets me know something. Their commitment to replacing white supremacy with justice immediately. Right. They are ignore my children to be on the radio with you. That's a brilliant commentary. I'm sorry? I should ignore my children. To be and wait a minute. Actually, you interrupted me. Hang tight. That's one thing yes, you I want did. to watch. I did. Don't let, white people, interrupt don't let white people interrupt you when you're trying to explain. Uh, as I was saying before, Timothy interrupted me. Um, all I ask, two hours, if you are committed to hanging out, if, if those two days really mean something to you and bonding with the family, 
that's great. I am not opposed to anyone spending time with their family, friends, loved ones, although I do raise an eyebrow for those two days because I think both of those days are steeped in racism, white supremacy. But if two hours is too much to ask for those two days, um, would Christmas Eve work for you know uh, December? My, my family, first of all, you have no earthly idea how we celebrate those two days. So for you to make these... Oh, let me hang. Like, no, I don't no, need let to me know. Finish. Let me finish. You know what? I can, I hang, up. I can hang up right now and spend the rest of the evening. Man, I don't have any authority over you. If you, don't, if you want to discontinue uh, conversing, no problem. We're you're not good. agreeable to do it, no problem. Fine. I don't know what you're doing. You could be going to Africa to hand out toys. I have no idea. No, At any rate, style, but. As, as you're not willing... To comply with my request, I'll have to think of something. I'll see if I can think of two other because you do still, there are two programs we're supposed to have that we didn't have. So I'll think if I can set those up on two other days, I'll think about it during the, uh, the course of this program. I'll think on that and I'll maybe pitch another request. Man, you talk about a white person I despise. That is some of the most, I had not heard that in about four years. That is one of the most disrespectful racist exchanges I've heard in some time. And we've talked to a lot of white people. Now, for the record, since I can stand with two MacBooks, I am so glad I kept that in because we did the first 217 programs with no computer. That's another reason that I'm real not interested in hearing a whole lot of critique or criticism. If you don't like the cows, you don't have to listen. Feel free to start your own program. Get cracking. In the meantime, we had, as I said before, Dr. Kanban on the program on Christmas Day. In fact, we did two programs with Dr. Kanban as program one. We had Brother Dawa as brother uh, as program two. We've had Pam on the program. She hung out for three hours. We had Renithia Tate on the program for Christmas Day. We've had Dr. Welsing on the program repeatedly on Thanksgiving Day. I think we broadcast it for five consecutive years on Christmas Day, and you're going to tell me some trash line? Oh, you don't know what I'm doing uh, with my family. You have zero interest in solving this problem, and this is the program that he hung up on. He refused to answer my question later in the program. He interrupted me, uh, and even giving my response, he could have waited to give his tacky line about the importance of his family and just being really sarcastic. That is one of the worst whites in the universe if this is the best you all can offer with your books and taglines and trash about white privilege this is the essence of why every single white individual on the planet is racist white supremacist if this is the best you got since john brown i'm cool (laughs) thank you i know what it means to be white Timothy Wise, and he is an admitted white supremacist. That should be not be lost on anyone. He can hear it from his own lips. Uh, that was from February. In fact, that was on February 21st, 2010, which was our one-year anniversary. So you can go back and check that out and hear him admit to being a racist. And then that was in February, so then that program was in July. So what is that, five, six months later for him to come on and give that tacky exchange Timothy Wise, admitted white supremacist, and to emphasize, I played that today, Dr. Rasayan is a father. He, too, could have been hanging out, spending time with his children, his family. This problem is important. I didn't even give him that much notice. I said, are you willing to speak with us? He said, absolutely. Give me a time, and I would be more than happy to hang out 
author. This is his 13th time being a guest on the program. We had him with us most recently live on the night of the election, which was at 1 a.m. Eastern for him, husband, father. He was hanging out live when Donald Trump was declared the victor to give us live time analysis in the system of white supremacy. Our guest, one again, one of our favorites, Dr. Niana Rasayan. Dr. Rasayan, are you with us, sir? Absolutely, my brother. I've been listening to you since the brother called down to give his version of what happened in the emergency room, but how black people remain in shackles and the white people are basically unshackled. I just didn't know how to let you know that I was on the line, so I sent you text from out of the phone. But I'm here, and I'm good to go. Oh, well, awesome. I wish I had uh, known, but uh, I'm glad we got you in crystal clear. Uh, as a pleasure to have you uh, on the program, uh, eyesofmaat.com. Visit the website, eyesofmaat.com. You can see uh, his texts, blogs, uh, other thoughts, uh, and material to check out, eyesofmaat.com. Should be linked uh, in the description for the program. Uh, anything you would like to share with listeners before we get started, sir? In, in the interest of respecting the way you always keep things flowing smoothly, I'll just humble myself to follow your lead and go in whatever direction you choose to take this exchange because, again, I apologize for the general um, confusion around when I'd be anchored near my phone. However, when I called you, I just didn't know how I could possibly unmute my line, but I'm good to go. Oh, okay. Right on. My apologies as well. Uh, glad we got it resolved, and you're with us now. Uh, you said you've been listening, so you already know. Question one, since you are a black parent, um, the situation in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, I suspect that you've probably seen, about, seen that situation already. You tend to be pretty informed about things. Um, where this black mother, she called the police because a white neighbor uh, had put his hands on her seven-year-old black son. Uh, the police white officer arrived, uh, eventually told her, it's reported, he said to her, why don't you teach your child not to litter? Uh, eventually, he handcuffed her, had her prone on the ground, and another black female. Uh, he pointed his taser at them, and they were arrested and handcuffed, taken away. Um, we had a black mother. Uh, she dialed in yesterday, and she said, you know, what, what suggestions do, you know, we recommend? What suggestions do you have for a black female uh, or black parent, period, about how they should handle that sort of uh, situation? Do you not call the police? Do you call the police? What would your suggestion be as a black parent? The first thing, the first thing that I would do, and to be very honest with you, I would call my best friends that I know are down. And by that, I mean my best friends that are smart and wise enough to come equipped to help us navigate the situation. And I would not necessarily um, default to calling the police. Remember when I told you the policemen oftentimes or us, unfortunately, I, I don't like to say it, but it's, it's kind of true when we're dealing with our youth. And oftentimes our women, oftentimes when we see the policemen, we need to be mindful of whenever possible, we should avoid and observe as opposed to thinking that they are here to protect and serve, avoid and observe. I say that very candidly because it's been so many situations in the history of the U.S. when black folk have called the policemen. I, I mean, people that don't even have any mental health condition. They've called the policemen and the people that they call to provide aid have actually shown up as an adversary. They come up and they victimize the people that sought their help. So with specific regard to the situation where that black parent unfortunately found herself in a compromised situation, you have to 
embrace a fundamental understanding about pathology. And this does not apply to all policemen. However, it applies to a disproportionate number in any number of precincts in the South, the North, and the Midwest, East, wherever they are. The mentality of a lot of these individuals unfortunately translates into a barbarian with a badge. And a barbarian with a badge who happens to be packing is a very, very dangerous entity to deal with. So sadly, I say to you again, I would call my best friends who are equipped to navigate and monitor the situation. And navigate, it has a lot of connotations with it. Not just come in and be record keepers, but people that are comfortable enough to come in and provide some intervention. Because it doesn't make any sense. Like we had a situation in Baltimore probably a couple of years ago when a policeman went into a, a, a school and handcuffed a child. He was either in kindergarten or the first grade. And sadly, I also say to you, I think that we're going to see a little bit more of this now that we have the new president-elect preparing to move into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So again, I redundantly make clear, I'd call my best friends who are prepared to navigate and intervene. Because sadly, again, I'm being redundant, but I'm being redundant to be clear. You have to understand the mentality of a lot of these policemen. You are deceiving yourself if you expect them to get rational behavior out of irrational people. Are you following my logic? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the truth. You know, it, it's, it's just the truth. And I'm not the type of person to advocate um, violence. I am the kind of person to do what Malcolm said. You know, I'm not the kind of person that you smack my cheek if you're fortunate enough to catch me off guard, then you smack my cheek. But I'd be damned if I'm going to turn around and let you smack the next one. You follow me? And ain't no way in the world, as a parent, you either see me on the news, in handcuffs, or in the hospital, or the morgue. No way in the world am I going to allow a police person to come in and aggressively assault and engage and come back to practice with any of my children. No way, shape, fashion, or form. And if the boys in blue or gray or khaki, whatever color they wear throughout the country, who happen to be uh, allowed to wear a badge, fail to understand what I'm saying, I pity them in their ignorance because there's no way, shape, fashion, or form any conscious parent is going to allow his or her offspring to be handled inappropriately by a so-called officer of the law, particularly at that age, because the child that young was probably afraid, probably perplexed, trying to phantom, what is this person doing to me that my mother actually called to come in and assist us? It wasn't, just for clarification, it wasn't the officer that uh, manhandled the child. It was the white neighbor. He's not an enforcement officer. He's just, you know, a random white citizen. He was the one who uh, physically assaulted her child, and then she called the police to deal with him. And the police officer ended up arresting her and putting her in but another back up. I, I got you. I got you. Mm. I want to be, I want, let me be clear. I don't want to like allow what I just said to literally just restrict it to the child. The mother intervening on the behalf of the child, she called the policeman to come in and in her efforts to intervene, the policeman reminds her of what she should have done with her child. And subsequent to him reminding her of what she should have done for her child, then the policeman aggressively assaults her. You follow my logic? With you. You follow my logic? It's like, the man was already out of line with the child. So she caused the policeman to come in to offer authorized intervention. And in her efforts to go through the appropriate protocol to have the policeman to come in and assist, then she began, she becomes a victim of the policeman. 
That's why I started off by saying I call my best friends, people that are better equipped to navigate the situation. It's almost like I used to tell my kids, if you need to go to the hospital, Dick Gregory used to say, call him a taxi or call him a cab, but don't wait for the ambulance, right? You call people that you know that can get to you as quickly uh, to uh, address the situation as quickly as the people that are supposed to be authorized to do so. Because what happens is process it. Okay, they handcuffed her. They manhandled her. And then what does that do to the psyche of the child? So now you have this really perpetual damage going on at a genetic level. Now the kid is perplexed because the kid is like, wait, you called the policeman, I think. And then the policeman comes in and assaults slash attacks you. So where does that lead the kid? Back to the George DeGruy post-traumatic slavery syndrome. Like when you said, Dr. Wilson said early on in this program, um, all of us have been victimized by the system of white supremacy. I kind of steer clear of the word victim. We've been victimized by it, and we're victimized by it every day. So when you actually reach out to try and get some aid and the efforts to get aid, it's almost like you have a toddler in your hand, and you're saying the toddler accidentally burns his or her hand on the stove, and then you're going to come back to the stove, stove and be so awkward in your movement that you're going to burn the toddler several times again. Now, not only do you have a child now who's dealing with probably second and third degree burns on a distant part of his body, hand or forearm, now the child has some form of insidious brain trauma because the kid is like, what the hell happened? The neighbor already roughhoused him. And after the neighbor did what the neighbor did, here comes the policeman who's going to come in and reprimand the parent. Do you remember when that brother, Baltimore, there was a mother, they portrayed her on the national news over and over again. Her son had gone out to protest, and, and in her efforts to discipline her son, she recognized him. And I think she smacked him across the head or grabbed him and sort of like roughhoused him, and they put it on the news about how she had handled her son. There was a woman handling her son, and they talked about that mother. I don't remember the actual incident, but the scenario that followed the incident that led to the, um, the, the rioting, if you will, or the, 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 the mayhem in the street. This mother had come out there to be in her son. So the point being, they paraded that all over the news about how this mother had done what she did to her son. She had basically roughhoused her son, disciplined her son very aggressively. And I, I mentioned to some of my students many, many months ago, had that happened in Chevy Chase or Bethesda, Maryland, the policeman would have arrested that mother for being too aggressive with that, with that, with that child. Now, back to the seven-year-old. If that mother had gone outside, called the policeman, had smacked the crap out of the boy, the boy was sitting on the side of the sidewalk crying when the policeman had come along, this is how pathology works. The policeman may have been, okay, wait a minute. Looks like you might have handled this child a little too excessively in terms of intervention. However, on the other hand, the policeman was not short to convey to her, by the way, you should have taught your son better. And she's trying to explain and intervene on behalf of her son, and she winds up getting arrested. And I do realize I, mis I misspoke when I said that the policeman comes and do X, Y, and Z. But what I want you to understand is there is very little difference in it. The reality is all of us, we are in no position to question the authority of white folk with a badge, white folk with a gun, white folk that have been authorized by a system to treat us the way we are treated. Are you following me now? Can I, can I hit pause really quick just to emphasize a point that you made? A, a just woo, extraordinary point that you made with juxtaposing this situation in Dallas 
with the incident. Toya Graham is her name, uh, the mom in Baltimore. And this was after uh, Freddie Gray uh, was killed when they had the conflict in Baltimore. This was 2015. And she recognized her son. She came out and hit him. (laughs) If you do a Google search for mom of the year, this image of this black Toya Graham beating her child is going to be the first image you see if you just you don't have to put baltimore and just do mom of the year in quotes a google search i guarantee not only that but the second link you will see it says hundreds help baltimore mom of the year left homeless this is from 2016 so a year after she was crowned mom of the year she's homeless anything you want to add dr Rossian? You remember, um, what's what's his name? Look, um, is his name Rice, the the youngster that was shot in Ohio? What's the kid's name? Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice. Remember when Tamir Rice? Tamir Rice. His mother, I think she sat in the police car and either watched her son bleed out while she was screaming because he shot him. I think that's. I think it happened sort of that way. And for a while, she was homeless. What, what I'm trying to say to you is what you alluded to when you had I'm Nilly Fully, I'm playing those clips of Nilly Fully. And when you talked about the sneakers and stuff and the hubcap metaphor, you know, what happens with black folk is we wait for white folk to tell us how we should respond to a variety of phenomena that impact us in, a, in an adverse manner. And that is a function of something that I was privileged to do the 21st to want to solstice right here in D.C. at one of our popular um, alternative schools. We talked about desombification. You see, a lot of our people, we're spooks on asphalt. You know, walking profile in bed, we don't know any better. We believe everything the white folk have ever written or said. And that's how we conduct ourselves. When white folk put a spin, you follow me, or they create, what's the term we use in cyberspace when we're talking about something getting a lot of hits, or goes viral. So think about the word goes viral. Whenever pathology goes viral, as sick as the pathology is, Folk have a tendency, particularly their zombies, to get in line with that pathology. It's just like a little stupid commercial I saw a few weeks ago on television. There was some sheep roaming around a car, and the car was trying to move forward. But the lead sheep was walking around the car because it had lost orientation, and all the other sheep followed behind that sheep, which means that the sheep that were going around the car while the car was trying to drive along the road, they were in jeopardy of being run over. But they had not processed the fact that they were in jeopardy of being run over because they were following the sheep that was ahead of them. And that's what happens with a lot of black folk. We run around like blind sheep. Whenever they put something in front of us that goes viral, we jump on it. We talk about it. We just ride it and ride it and ride it. It's like we ride it off the cliff. We'll ride it off the side of the damn mountainside, and then when we fall down and some of us are moaning and groaning in our pain with our broken limbs and our bodies and everybody else is looking down at us, we're like, what happened? And what happens is an afterthought, not how did it happen, but it continues to happen while you're lying there. You see other sheep coming off the side of the damn mountainside. And that's what happens when you have herd mentality and when you turn people into zombies. Because our software that runs our cognitive, our consciousness, has basically been infected. And when you have a virus in any type of program in your computer, imagine you're trying to do something in your Word program, and it keeps pulling up graphs, just randomly pulling up graphs and making columns for data. That's a virus. And you're trying to write a sentence, and it's throwing in all kinds of little 
um, symbols in your sentence. That's a virus in your computer. And what has happened to us as a people, we have a virus that's infected our psyche. And that virus has infected us at such an incredible level that we have literally become zombies. So like when you're talking about people, the brother was talking about, what did he say, um, something called $800? I think he said $800. And I have two of them, you know, and the people in line getting the Jordans and stuff like that. They're buying sneakers. And I, you, have to, you have to understand, overstand, understand, process the mentality behind that and realize that when you are so desperate that you need to call a policeman as a brown or a black person, if you were to go and interview those people, you would find that the vast majority of those people that felt desperate enough to call a policeman, here is the irony. They felt that they were in a situation that would probably escalate and put them into more harm's way and or they felt helpless. They either felt helpless or they felt that they were in a situation where they needed to have some intervention that would minimize them being an additional or amplifying the harm's way. And then here comes the irony. The very people that you call to help you are the people that wind up doing you the most harm. So that comes back to what I shared with you many programs ago, learn helplessness in psychology. What do you do if you were an animal and every time you try to eat, the person is feeding you steps on your tail? What do you do if you're an animal every time you try to eat? The person that's feeding you, they smack you on your snout. What do you do if every time you try to eat, they stop on your front paws? What do you do if they pour scalding water on you? Pretty soon you won't eat. You can see the food right there. If that person is proximal to the food, you will starve to death. Learn helplessness. As a people, we have become so conditioned that we do what the rest of the zombies do. And the zombies are, did you see it on television? Wow. Everybody is doing it. It's the biggest craze. Has it ever occurred to you that's why they call it a craze? It's the rave. It's the new rave. It's the biggest craze. So back to your original question about what should a parent do? Call those people that you know you can trust. Call those people first. I guarantee you, if somebody gets a serious injury in a neighborhood and they know there are one or two people in the neighborhood that are reliable and dependable, before they call the ambulance, they're going to say, yo, man, can we put Sean in your car? Because they know he's reliable. Because they know he's going to run through the red lights, blow his horn, drive through traffic to get you to the hospital. You follow me? So what has happened to us as a people is we have become less aware of I am my brother's keeper, Ubuntu. Because of you, I exist. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're hungry, I'm hungry. When you're thirsty, I'm thirsty. And the more we get away from our true identity, the more we make ourselves ideal candidates to be round up and placed in encampments, just like they did during World War II with all of the Japanese people, just like they did in Nazi Germany when the Jews were basically corralled, and they took those individuals and they put them in ghettos. The word ghetto comes from their language. The word ghetto did not exist here. That was where they corralled the Jews and put them in these little compartmentalized areas so that they could contain them and make them feel less than human. And by the way, if we think that the decimation of our people is something that you're going to wake up one day on the news and you're going to hear something really dramatic like you heard about Rwanda or Aleppo that's going on now, that's not how genocide is done. It happens in waves. It happens in sweeps. It's not done overnight. Oftentimes, it's done over a period of years. Sometimes those years translate into a couple of decades. And even with the Native Americans, it translates into decades, into centuries. People are not going to announce to you they're trying to take you off the planet. Nearly fully, he knows that. Somebody's trying to kill you. They're not going to come and say, oh, by the way, it's, it's um, 
700 homes in this neighborhood, and all these homes in this neighborhood, actually, they cost over $700,000. But by the end of the month, it's only going to be 10 of them left. And nobody's going to come to your neighborhood with a bullhorn announcing that that's what they're planning on doing to you. They're going to do it insidiously. They're going to do it with a military protocol. They're going to triangulate. They're going to do a little bit over here, a little bit over there. Flip Michigan. What's wrong with the drinking water? It's still not up to speed. You can't even really bathe in it. You follow me? So it's not going to be done like Gil Scott I made it very clear. The revolution will be live. It will not be televised. Context. It's not going to be on the damn. It's not going to be on the damn internet either. Uh, the cows will be though. Context of white supremacy, Doctor Niana Rasayan. Uh, Appreciate the response, definitely. Uh, thanks again to the Black Mother for bringing that issue up yesterday with us. Um, also wanted to ask, we had you with us, uh, this was 2014, uh, and we had a, a number of significant losses in 2014. Uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, uh, Yuri Kochiyama, Ruby D, Mary Baraka, uh, Vincent Harding, Herman Ferguson, a uh, lot of notable black people. I'm sure I'm even missing some people, uh, but it was a lot of notable, uh, a lot of notable black people, non-white people, period, uh, who did a lot uh, to work against racism, white supremacy, who passed in 2014. And you touched on that. I think we were talking about that as, as a season of transition. I do not know what to say about 2016. I'm losing uh, you. Oh, oh, can you hear me? It looks like uh, my volume meter is moving. Dr. Rasayan, are you with us, sir? Oh, he dialed back in. Uh, retired firefighter, can you hear me okay? I'm just doing a volume check to make sure that I can be heard. Uh, retired firefighter, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Beautiful. Thank you kindly for the volume check. Uh, I think Dr. Rasayan just dialed us back in. Let me get his line and make sure that he can hear me as well uh, before we move forward. Okay, Dr. Rossian, can you hear me okay? Clear, audible. We were disconnected somehow. Okay, I don't know what the issue is. I, I just hung up and dialed myself back in. Uh, the other folks, they verified they can, they can hear me okay, and you can hear me okay. I can hear you okay as well. Uh, I'll just start it again because I don't know where people lost me at. Um, I was saying uh, we had you on the program in 2014 where there were a lot of notable uh, deaths. Uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, Ruby D, uh, Yuri Kochiyama, Amiri Baraka, Vincent Harding, Herman Ferguson. I mean, these are a lot of black people who devoted their lives uh, and I mean decades to working against racism, white supremacy, and specifically uh, trying to help black people, even Yuri Kochiyama, even though she was uh, Asian. This year, uh, I mean, it is just, it's hard to fathom uh, the number of people that we lost this year uh, with Prince, Muhammad Ali, uh, George Curry, uh, notable black journalist, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, uh, Gwen Eiffel, another notable black journalist, uh, Maurice White, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, Dr. Afini Shakur, member of the Black Panther Party and the mother of Tupac Shakur, uh, Natalie Cole, Dr. Sebi. Uh, I'm just stopping there just because, I mean, just to give people a sense of how many people, prominent black people who did a lot, uh, specifically, again, trying to help black people and specifically devoting uh, their talents to addressing racism, white supremacy. Just can you kind of uh, put in perspective uh, the number of people that we lost and the magnitude of those losses? You know, remember at the beginning of this year, 2016, I think it was the first or the second of January when um, Dr. Fresh Wilson crossover, remember? 2016, January, remember? Absolutely. 
Now, I think it was about four weeks later that Dr. Gilbert Blair passed. I think he passed around the end of the month in 2016. Yes, Dr. Delbert Blair. Yes, sir. Now, Dr. Delbert Blair is known for taking people into these very unique metaphysical journeys of processing all kinds of information, everything from so-called alien things relating to Nabiru to what happens with the spirit when the spirit um, goes on to the other side. And it's interesting that you asked me, could I put in perspective? And I will, um, at the risk of, uh, the only way I know to say it is to say this. I, I say so with great humility. Um, those among us who remain incarnate in this realm are always at a loss and a profound disadvantage to speak to what happens to spirits when they cross over to the other side. However, the reality of crossing over to the other side translates into a level of, how should I say, of um, gives them a spiritual breath to, to monitor and observe the, the energy on the planet in ways that those among us who remain incarnate or among the so-called living could hardly have a phantom. So with that in mind, when you talk about metaphysics, you have to be mindful of the fact that the majority of us who claim to have any knowledge of spirituality, and I'm not just, when I say spirituality, I mean that which transcends one's religion. The majority of us that claim to have any breadth of insight on spirituality, the majority of us, um, they have access to a forum like this, oftentimes find ourselves trying to share very complex concepts through English and through the limitations of the lexicon or the peculiarities of the English language, which is inherently limited to speak about the African experience. There's so many things that are ill-equipped to do justice to how we view people when they cross over, the stages of what happened to a person when that person crosses over. So back to the number of people that we have lost. You know there are more than we can really count when you put it in perspective about the loss of when you lose musicians and you lose your poets and you lose your rap artists and you lose your healers like Sadie and you lose, you lose the people that actually make available the news that try to do justice to our news and our version. It's a message in that. And that message translates into we have to become a little bit more spiritually aligned to have our voices heard. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we give little voice and little volume to those of us that speak the truth while they are alive. Now, it's, it's, I, it's hard for me to phantom, like there was a program that used to come on um, probably a decade plus ago called Tony Brown's Journal. And um, Tony Brown um, had, had done this journal, and he sort of like, it was sort of like a jet magazine, but it gave you a, a synopsis of critical things that were impacting people of color or black people throughout the diaspora, the U.S. in particular, and to some, to some degree worldwide. So having said all of that, we have to, as a people, give time to those individuals that we know that are conscious. And Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, I don't know why, we didn't have her elevator to the level where she would have her own regular television show like some of these big-time TV evangelists that are, I don't want to call them pimps in the pulpit, but you know the people I'm talking about, these um, individuals that oversee these mega churches. There's no reason in the world why we should not have pulled together our resources and given Dr. Frances Cress Wilson a forum where she could have an access to an international audience that would transcend Crampton Auditorium over at Howard University because we fail to understand that those people that do the most for us 
are the people that will work themselves to the grave trying to save us. And so it's up to us to elevate their spirit when they do cross over and breathe life back into their spirit and make sure that they stay alive by keeping their name alive. And in keeping their name alive, we can amplify what their beliefs were. And as we amplify what their beliefs were, hopefully we can incorporate their beliefs into how we live our lives. Are you following me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, uh, and I, I appreciate at the beginning of it, uh, you stating that English is not equipped uh, to convey correctly, fully, uh, the experiences. You said Africans, black people. Uh, I concur 100%. Um, just in terms, and I mean just, and, and you even going into details uh, because it's, it's so many people. I mean, it's way more people there. Black people are dying uh, by the, the thousands, tens of thousands every day uh, just on the basis of racism. Uh, but just some of the people, more well-known people uh, who were using their talents, uh, a lot of these folks, and I didn't even include everyone, uh, Fife from Tribe Called Quest as well. Um, but to lose people who were journalists, artists, psychiatrists, healers, uh, and who were specifically using their craft for black. I mean, Maurice White. I think we had you on to talk about Maurice White and his influence with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, you talk about someone transcending language to convey the African experience. That would be Maurice White, Earth, Wind, and Fire, correct? Oh, without a doubt. When Maurice first got turned on to the Kalimba, and I, I forgot the brother's name, uh, there was a brother I, I, I know, and I, I think he actually introduced Maurice White to the kalimba. A lot of people think that the kalimba, the thumb piano, was something. And I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I, his name might be Phil Cochran. Um, I, I think, I, I, well, it's, it's unimportant whether or not he actually introduced him to him, but the point being, the kalimba, the thumb piano, um, that a lot of people would hear um, and when Maurice White, Earth, Wind, and Fire dropped this tune called... Um, Serpentine spine, and they were talking about how you channel the chi or raise the chi from the base of your spine, the chakras, and bring it up to the crown for consciousness. So Maurice was one of those kind of brothers that he took music and he dealt with music in the way the ancients dealt with music. He understood that music was a tool for healing, you know, and um, the um, Coltrane. You know, they, they knew music was healing. And even even, even um, Nat King Cole, even though he expired rather prematurely in life because of cigarette smoking, I mean, he knew what to do with the piano and his voice. You follow me? I mean, Duke Ellington. And, I mean, even James Brown. What, and Curtis Mayfield. It's, it's so many of our artists. And Prince, definitely. It's so many of our artists, they understood the power of music because music is pure mathematics. And speaking of pure mathematics... Um, probably in the next few weeks, we're going to be um, given a version of a story that relates to pure mathematics and physics and geometry all being woven together. And the um, the name of the movie, um, what's the name of the movie that the sisters are in right now when they're talking about the um, the, the, the mathematics and the space program? Hidden numbers? Yeah, hidden numbers. See? And hidden yes, numbers. Hidden figures. So, I'm sorry. Hidden figures. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, hidden, hidden figures, right? With Taraji and um, Sister... Um, mm. Octavia Monet Spencer. and I forgot the other name. Yeah, Octavia. So the the point is, is another group of black women. It's just like um, when the black women, the story was told around the help. You know, it's like what they did to sustain and help white people and keep them in order. And they were called the help. But look at these women. So back to these people that have crossed over. And it's good that the sister 
actually is alive on the planet. And I think Obama just honored her probably like last year. And her name is, as they say on the tip of my tongue, it's not coming in my mouth right now. Um, but the bottom line is this, mathematics, music, those things, they belong to us. Those are the kinds of tools that we have used to elevate ourselves. Those are the kinds of things that Europeans have frightened us by saying to us things like, well, you know, black people, well, I don't like math. Uh, I don't like chemistry. I don't like science. We invented this stuff. You follow me? We taught these people how to use it, not just in ancient Kemet and not just in Timbuktu when we had colleges, but for their very program that they are calling their space program. All of this stuff revolves around things that they have taken from us and hidden from us. That's why I said to you, we run around like sheep. You remember we were talking about the election and we had this conversation. It was a sidebar exchange. We were talking about Trump getting the electoral college. But simultaneously, um, we would revisit the issue around which states were legalizing marijuana. And I made a comment about, yeah, here we go again, having access to another class of sedatives. That doesn't negate the fact that marijuana has a lot of medicinal healing properties. It just translates into people are making available to us more things to sedate us from the realities that we are compelled to navigate every day. So if you punish people and you hurt people and you make people's lives very miserable, what do people want to do? People want to escape that. What are the better ways to escape that? Putting compounds in your body that are naturally relaxing, compounds in your body that are naturally soothing. However, those compounds will not negate the reality that when you get out of that little state of relaxation, that the reality of the world you must navigate is waiting for you every day. So all of these things are done by design. So when we lose those people that we love and they cross over to the other side, I'll tell you what I told you before. You'd be surprised what spirits can do when they're on the other side. They can do a lot of things. Ask someone that has lost someone that they love, that they care about. Ask those people how many times those spirits visited them, either in the form of a smell, a sight, or something enigmatic that they could not explain. Some kind of way, those people that we love and that we think we lost, they will remind us that they are still among us. They will remind us that they can still influence our lives. They only ask that we do not what? We do not defame their names and that we remember them. And oftentimes we're told, depending upon our religious orientation, that we pour libation for them or we put something in the air to let them know that we remember what they like. And that's how we keep their spiritual essence alive into this realm where we navigate lives, our lives called Sasa, in the realm where there are the rings and the great sequoia trees that were here long before you and I were born in the realm of Zamani, where the, our ancestors lie, our ancestral energy lies, where our ancestral spirits dance. Just because we may be unaware of what their names were, their spirits still dance around us. So we try to evoke their presence in any number of rituals that we go through to let them know that they're not forgotten. So as we lose all these people in this realm, they get strength on the other side. Also, as they move to the other side, oftentimes they're able to reach more people. Remember when I told you Dr. Francis Cress Wilson can reach a lot more people now? Because the spirit, the realm of the spirit is not restricted to what you see in the Internet. It's not restricted to what MSN or CNN decides to put on television. The realm of spirit is not captured in a domain of physicality. It transcends all the domains. So wherever that thought can find itself percolating, you can evoke the essence of that person to move on the tenets of whatever it was that they advocated. 
context of white supremacy, Dr. Niana Rasaya, and I'm so glad that you made that point because I hadn't I haven't seen Hidden Figures. I don't uh, I don't do movies and such, but I was aware that it was uh, coming out. But you make the point about the similarity, even having some of the same uh, actresses that were in the film The Help, uh, which uh, is supposed to be great. But again, it's showcasing black people in service, helping white people. And the New York Times review for Hidden Figures it says Hidden Figures honors three black women who helped NASA. Sore <laughs> again, helping. And white so, you know, there were hundreds of those women, and that West, in that West, whatever that West computer thing, because they call them human computers. Right, right. You know, there were hundreds of them. There were so many black women that were there doing math. And but again, that's my point. They're always hiding stuff from us. And as they hide stuff from us, when they lift the veil a little bit, we jump up and we run around and we go, "Oh wow!" And even in hidden figures, they're really talking about how. Um, this sister basically calculated the, um, I, I don't want to say trajectory, but she did the math for, for John Glenn to feel comfortable going in space. And they play that line over and over again. Because the fact of the matter is, it's just like when they were doing that thing, probably unbeknownst to us, um, the Tuskegee Airmen had already saved U.S. from losing World War II. And, and you know how Red Tails was portrayed in the cinema and the, the guys that were actually Members of the Tuskegee Airmen, the few were left, they would tell you the way they did the movie in the cinema was a joke. The one that they did on HBO was probably a little bit more true to life. So, again, we cannot allow, what's his name, Kevin Costner? Now, I do realize, what's the brother's name that's the musician? I think he's one of the producers in it. John You know his name. Is, is, John No, the other, the other oh. brother. I'm sure his name will pop up later. I, I forgot his name. Nate Parker? He, he, he's the brother. What's his name? Nate Parker, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the black dude, he'll, he'll wear hats, really unique hats. Um, Farrell anyway, Williams? He, he's I'm one sorry, of the Williams. He's, he's one of the guys. Yeah, that's his name, Pharrell. I think that's his name. Um, he, he's written um, some of the music. The, the point that I'm getting at is this. When we were talking about our people, and I'm telling you, it's mathematics. You know, it's pure science. In music, it's mathematics. You follow me? In music, it's pure music. It's, it's black music because I haven't got to tell you if you go into a place where people are doing therapy in any major facility where they have different wings or rooms dedicated for therapy, they have this little thing sitting on the floor and it makes this little humming sound or this little sound like wind and they call it white noise. You follow me? Because black, black sound is organized sound. It's music because it has threads and harmonics and melodies and chord structures that it can follow. You follow me? And just a few days ago when I did this presentation, I told some black people, I said, check this out. It's 88 keys on a piano. Even if you don't know how to play the piano, you can establish a rhythm and just hit the black keys and you can make some music. Because black brings things together. You follow me? The black keys are a lot easier to play on the piano than playing the white keys. They're a lot easier to play on the piano than even integrating the black keys and the white keys. Because there's something about the black keys that allow them to create harmony and resonance very easily. All you have to do is, like I told people, both that are listening, get in front of a piano. Strike the black keys with a rhythm. You can be on the lower register or the high register of the piano. Just hit the black keys. Hit them with a rhythm. Hit them with a cadence. And I guarantee you, it will sound nice. And if you doubt this, hit the white keys with a rhythm. See if they sound anything comparable to those black keys. So what I'm getting at, that's metaphorical to tell you about how black and how melanin organizes things. 
It doesn't mean that black is better. It means that black is natural because black absorbs all the colors in the spectrum. Things live in the darkness. Things grow out of the darkness. And that's one of the reasons why the white folk flip the script. They flip the script like Dr. Russell made it very clear. Why is the cue ball left? Why is the black ball considered a negative ball? Why is the black chocolate cake or the black cake considered to be double foods cake? Why is the white cake the angel foods cake? All those things are tools to program you into thinking negative things about black folk, like the black cat around Halloween. You follow me? They'll even rub it in like right now. You watch. Before we get to Valentine's Day, you're going to hear something about somebody having a so-called accident on some black ice. Ain't no such thing as black ice. The ice is clear. It's translucent. It's the asphalt that you see beneath the ice. Even when you don't see the sheen on the ground or the freeway or the asphalt, the sheen on the ground is the ice, which is translucent. That's the crap that causes people to have these bizarre accidents. But you just watch because Christmas is passing. People were dreaming of a white Christmas, and they wanted the white snow. And those things that showed up after the white snow became problematic. So wherever you go, anything relating to us, they'll associate with negativity. Like they'll tell you when you cross over, you're going into the darkness, you're going into the abyss, you're going into this black place in the whole nine yards. When you close your eyes and the lights are out in your room, and if you're well-rested and you eat well, guess where you can go that only you can go, and you can go there spontaneously with very little control. You can go into the realm of where their images. That's the realm of images all over the place. It's called imagination. And you don't even have to imagine the images because you're dreaming about them. And when you're dreaming, no light shining inside of your head. But you still can see. That's how phenomenal the human brain is. That's how phenomenal the human mind is. So when we lose people to the physical realm, just because they do not walk around among us, it doesn't mean they're not here. Ask anybody that lost somebody that they cared about. Ask them how many times they felt the presence of that person. And ask anybody that lost someone that they cared for, how many times have they come across a smell of that person and that person was nowhere around? That's how powerful spirit is. And for those smart people that think they knew, know the science maybe a little bit better than I do, people will say, well, you know, it's just a memory you rekindle. So why is it that people that can remember and smell loved ones, they can go into a room and they can smell them or they can go into their car that they haven't written in in five or seven years and they can smell them or they can find themselves in a moment of stress and duress and all of a sudden they can smell them. How does that happen? Where does the brain get those memories from? I'm telling you, spirit is absolutely phenomenal and spirit is so phenomenal that white folk have enough respect to realize they cannot measure it. That's why they're always talking to you about there are certain things that are intangible. And intangible means those things that cannot be quantified, that cannot be measured. And because spirit transcends realms, you cannot capture where spirit is or what spirit does with any tools peculiar to utilization in a realm. And I'm talking specifically about the realm of physicality. So if we lose these people to the realm of physicality, that doesn't mean that we don't play their music. That doesn't mean that we might hear things in their music that we did not hear before. All those things were there all along, but we're just a little bit more tuned in and we can pay a little bit more attention. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Dr. Rasayan with us this evening. Takaya Rasayan still with us as well. Uh, I had a comment and a question. Uh, the question is uh, 
something that a listener shared with us about Dr. Welsing. Uh, my comment when you were mentioning the black keys on the piano, it reminded me of Dr. the title of Dr. Welsing's book, The Isis Papers, The Keys to the Colors. But when you mentioned that, if you don't, even if you don't know how to play the piano, you can just hit the black keys and you can harmonize. It reminded me uh, the legend talking about black musicians and uh, black genius the legend Curtis Mayfield, and I'm not a musician, but I know this because I know Curtis uh, Curtis Mayfield very well. Um, He tuned his guitar, this is in his bio, he tuned his guitar to the black keys on his mother's piano. This is in his uh, biography. I know this because I know Curtis uh, Curtis Mayfield well. Uh, We the people, darker than blue, the other side of town uh, and I suspect most people know Curtis Mayfield well even if they you know don't aren't big fans of his uh, you know Superfly I know <laughs> you recognize probably at least half of the songs uh, from that album the black keys keys to the color my question we had a listener she said she was being terrorized by some racists and she was thinking in her mind Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, and just repeating her name in her mind, it dissipated the problem. And just your thoughts before I transition to some of the other things that I wanted to touch on in terms of just keeping these people that we have lost, uh, keeping their names alive, whether it's, you know, repeating things that they sit playing their music, reading their work, uh, or just saying their names even to ourselves, uh, how that can still have an impact uh, on things that are having a tangible impact on our lives. Are you aware that in the rabbinical, uh, the Jews, when they are doing their prayers, they, the cantors, it's almost like they're reciting, they sound like a little song. Same thing happens in the Catholic Church. It sounds like they're singing a song. They don't just read like regularly. It's not like rap. It's like it's a rhyme. It's a rhythm. It's melodious, right? And so when you talked about Dr. Welsing, um, there was a movie. I, I'm forgetting the, the author's name that did the book, but there was a movie, a long movie called Dune, D-U-N-E. And these were the people that they say were they were the people from the desert. And they had a group of people. They were the, um, the ladies who were the... Um, they were the nuns, so to speak, and they were the spiritual people, and the men were the mathematicians, right? But these people of doom, they had come across the knowledge about how to use sound, and sound was power, right? And there was a character in the movie who became the lead so-called um, spiritualist slash messiah in the movie, and his character's name was Paul Mordit, right? And Paul Mordit, his name, when you recited his name, his name had power. And so there's a term called mantra. And people that do meditation, they repeat mantras over and over again. So when you say what you said about, and there are a lot of Buddhist chants that people repeat over and over again, and they have power. And the Tibetans are known for, the Buddhists are known for putting these prayers on these little flags. And as the flags, you know, like wave in the wind, the beliefs are that the the wind flapping on the flag will um, stimulate the characters, uh, the calligraphy on the flag, and it will take that sound onto the wind, those are spiritual prayers. So when you say somebody's name, it's a lot of power in that, particularly if that person is a quote-unquote so-called good person or a powerful person. So you evoke their name, you evoke their spirit. And if you add rhythm or cadence to it, then you can make it even that much more powerful. So the point being, absolutely, 100%, it's probably true. When I say probably, I mean there isn't any reason to suspect that it would not have some validity to it. 
because you can call a person's name. And if you call their name, you evoke the attributes that are associated with that person's name. That's why when we talked um, the last time we were talking about the election, I made a reference to um, a fascist, and I deliberately did not mention the Führer, the guy that's associated with Nazi Germany that everybody knows, a little short man. He used to be in the Catholic Church. I rarely will, <laughs> will state his name, but his, his, first, his first and last initials are A, and then last initial in his first name, I mean, his last name is H, A and H. I rarely evoke his name, but I did mention to you guys Benito Mussolini when I was talking about fascism, but I deliberately did not spend, mention his name. And the reason why is because I have my own little idiosyncrasies about things that I choose not to amplify. It's just like when we were talking about Dr. the guy that I, his name is Roof, the one that shot the nine people down in Charleston. I, um, I didn't talk about his name. So when you evoke a person's name, of course there's power in it. And there's always power in the music. And when you talked about Curtis Mayfield, I didn't know Curtis personally, but one of the songs that Curtis dropped, it, it came out probably when you were probably, you might not even been in diapers. The song was called um, Choice of Colors. Curtis Mayfield dropped this song, Choice of Colors, way before when he did We People Who Are Darker Than Blue. So the brother has always been phenomenal. He's always been mind-blowing. And he's, I mean, I, I think Curtis Mayfield was also behind the track. He probably did Claudine. You know, when the the, um, the the program with the lady that um, um, James Earl Jones was her man, and he was a garbage man in in the movie, Claudine. Um, she did the first television program with a black woman that wasn't a male. Diane Carroll. Yeah, Diane Carroll. Um, he, he did the track for um, Claudine as well. So what I'm getting at is Curtis Mayfield was one of those brothers, and I like the quote of every now and then. Remember when I did that quote I said to you? He dropped this song, and the, one of the lyrics, part of the lyrics were, uneducated fools from uneducated schools. That's Curtis Mayfield. You follow me? So again, brother, back to when we were talking about who we lost. When you lose your artists, people will remember more about their artists than they will remember about their politicians and their presidents. They will remember the music. They can remember the harmony, the melody of the music, even if they don't know the, the musician's name. But when people think about Earth, Wind, and Fire, a lot of people don't know Maurice White by name, and a lot of people do. But everybody knows Earth, Wind, and Fire. You follow me? They know how they used to come on with their shows. They know the kind of music they were known for. They know the kind of arrangements that they would bring. That's just like James Brown when he would roll out his famous flames, his horn section. Everybody, they knew that you, you heard that sound. You heard that lock. You knew who was behind it. So our music is part of that which we will have to use to save ourselves and, of course, our food. I'll be quiet because I'm, I think I'm about to go off on a tangent if I haven't already. <laughs> context of white supremacy uh no tangents no tangents on topic um i wanted to discuss you were with us the night of the election uh as things went down uh we were here as everything unfolded and the winner was announced uh so everybody's had a month or so to uh digest everything uh i wanted to one key point uh from a lot of things that we discussed from that evening that i don't know if we discussed as much because the data, I don't think the data was available at that time uh, that has come out 53% of white women voting for Donald Trump, uh, which I think, I mean, that should have been like front page, maybe should still be uh, front page, 53% of white women voting for Donald Trump. Uh, this is a sound clip before I get your commentary. This is a sound clip from NPR. Speaking of white women, uh, Rachel Martin, uh, that is the person doing the interview. I suspect she uh, is a racist. I suspect she's classified as white. She's interviewing ta Coates, and they're talking about the election. They're talking about 
Mr. Coates, he has a new article in the Atlantic uh, talking about my president is black, where it's kind of a big summation, sweeping summation reflection on the last eight years of Obama in the White House. And they're talking about that. They're talking about, you know, that in the context of President-elect Trump uh, about to take the office. And you can just hear the clip. It's 30 seconds uh, where she where she takes the interview. She does not bring up 53 percent of white women voting for Donald Trump. This is what Rachel Martin on NPR brings up with ta Coates. According to the most recent exit polling, 8 percent of African-Americans voted for Donald Trump. Mm. For those African-Americans who voted for Donald Trump, were they disavowing the presidency of Barack Obama and his legacy? Um, I, I don't know, but I would flip this the other way and say over 90 percent of African-Americans voted against Donald Trump. Anytime you have, you know, upwards of 90 percent of a demographic voting against somebody, that's a statement. Rachel Martin, and I mean, that's that's in my view, that's almost kind of close to Tim Wise tacky uh, to ask Eight percent of black people, are they disavowing the legacy of their nigger president, Barack Obama? Not, wow, 53 percent of white women voted for Donald Trump after all that talk about him being a sexist and a misogynist and the things he said. 53 percent of white women dissed Hillary Clinton and they still went with Donald Trump. What in the world? She doesn't bring that up at all. Um, did you See, brother, I had a, I had a really... I, I prefer, rather than call it distasteful, I had a, a short, unpleasant exchange with someone that I know about that. And they said, well, you know, if black people had voted, I said, hold up. He, that's dichotomous logic. So you will know Dr. Edwin Nichols, right or wrong, dichotomous logic, right or wrong, meaning you're either right or you're wrong. That's European logic. Africans don't think that way when they understand the Africanity. It's not up or down. It's not left or right. There is a continuum. And that continuum is back to what you just said. That sister called herself, that vanilla sister called herself, polarizing exchange by putting the person on defense. As he said, I would actually flip the script on that and look at that from a different perspective. Conversely, 90% of the people did not vote for him um, versus you telling us that 8% did. So did that somehow say they were not in support of Hillary? Now, I don't need to tell you, brother. A lot of people were torn because they were choosing between um, a person that they knew was already really compromised based upon the positions that he took, and they were also choosing between a person they knew had historically been compromised, convoluted, awkward in positions that she would take, and taking a lot of black folks uh, vote for granted. Remember when I told you that I had a problem with her parading around um, um, under the Black Lives Matter movement, all these mothers that had lost their children. And I told you I had a problem with the way they raised their money. So this lady, she dumps it in his, his, his lap to say, oh, by the way, does that mean that 8% um, disavowed Hillary? Because, see, that question alone is, I don't even know how to describe it other than saying it's designed to bait you to plug into what they want you to respond to. And what they want you to respond to is they're always setting the agenda. That's just like you invite me to your house you know I'm a vegan. You know I'm a vegan before I get there. And then you say, oh, by the way, um, we have a lot of vegetables to choose from. And um, uh, most of these vegetables have been cooked in pig fat and beef fat. Um, it might be something over there that has not been cooked in any particular kind of fat. I'm not sure. So go for it. So you're telling me, I know you don't eat meat. And 
I'm all, you're already telling me that I know a lot of the food that we prepare was probably cooked in meat, and you can kind of find your way to find out what you might want to eat. So what does that do? You get a lot of people that are not going to choose to participate. You feel me? Because that's like, look, these choices are jacked up. You feel me? And I'll say to you, as I say again, like you said before, 53% of the white women voted for um, Donald Trump. And we already know it was over 72% of white men that did. You feel me? So what does that say? And I think when you broke it down to the end, Donald Trump has something like 300 plus electoral votes. And maybe Hillary might have had about 220. I don't remember the actual electoral count. You follow me? But the point being, this country voted for the person that represents the zeitgeist, the political climate, and the consciousness of what America really is. Like you said, 53% of white women voted. 53%? That's better than those damn things that they tell you work for the flu. Remember they'll say, well, this, this flu vaccine, it works, and like 45% of the people it work with. That means the shit ain't working. Because 55% of the damn people, it ain't doing a damn thing for. And anytime I've gone to college and high school and grammar school, you've never known anybody to pass an exam without at least getting damn 61% on the damn exam. You follow me? At least 61%. And that's probably like a damn D maybe. You feel me? So what I'm getting at is this, brother. They always flip the script on us. They're always trying to blame us for decisions that they make and choices that they make. And then we, in our stupidity, sign off on the decisions that they make by trying to explain choices that we make that we do not own up to saying that we made a decision to do something, we fall into the trap of discussing whatever they want us to discuss because they set the tone for the conversation. And as they set the tone for the conversation, concrete example, how much sense does it make for me to say to you, hey, if you really want to decrease your risk of getting the flu this year, go and get the flu vaccine. And by the way, the flu vaccine this year, it works in uh, five out of 10 of the cases. What does that mean? It might work, it might not work. You, you run a 50% chance of catching it, you want a 50% chance of not catching it. So why should I get the shot? You follow me? So they pitch those kinds of arguments to us and then we debate about it. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my damn life. Black people had only done this. Hillary probably would have won. I told you, the universe is at work. America had a coup and she doesn't realize she had a coup. The U.S. government was basically infiltrated. Donald Trump's granddaddy, German immigrant, had brothels and opium dens. His name was Frederick Trump. You follow me? That's his granddaddy. And we know about the kind of money that his father earned. Now, you know what I know. You try to go get a job working for the World Bank and come from a history of thieves and see if you can get a job at the World Bank. Or you go and try to get a job at the World Bank and have a jacked up credit score and see if you can get a job at the World Bank. You try and go and get a job at any major bank and find out that you have a weak credit score or you call bankruptcy, declare bankruptcy any number of times, see if you get the job. But we just, USA when I say we, ushered in a new president elect to occupy 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue who has declared bankruptcy at least three to five times has probably caused about five major businesses to fall and go under. You follow me? And still has people that he owe money to and is caught up in litigation in several courts right now for suits that they're probably selling out of court for. And this is the person that is now the president-elect of the United States. And so when you make the comment in one of your questions that you asked earlier, 
I'll let you ask it in a little while. We're going to talk about what do they want to do to try and stain the legacy of the Obamas in the White House. We can move right into that because I was going to ask because I know we've talked about President Obama, President Obama before, uh, where I've given my view that I did not think uh, President Obama represented any sort of uh, substantial opposition to racism, white supremacy. I didn't think uh, his tenure in the White House was that constrict, at least not anything tangible that I can point to uh, with regards to non-white people uh, where we you did not have the same uh, assessment. Does his successor, does this make you reevaluate uh, the... Pause. Pause for a second. Mm-hmm. You, uh, um, to, the, to the contrary, at the risk of sounding like I'm splitting hairs, um, what I was suggesting to you was, when I was talking to you about um, the outgoing president, I was suggesting to you that this president presided over a corporation and the president other than a lot of black people thinking that he was going to be the president for black people they had to understand that he was the president of the united states and the united states is a corporation and a few things that he was able to do and did get done trust me the american media would not give a lot of airtime in the first place so I can you itemize clear. can you itemize some things for mm-hmm. us really quick can you itemize some things for us really quick tangible things that you think this was constructed for black people? Well, I, I could say to you that even though it has a lot of glitches in it, the kinds of things that he did for the Affordable Care Health Act, it probably made um, health care available to any number of black people. The things that President Obama did um, through, um, what's the brother's name that was his attorney general? Um, Eric Holder. Give me his name right quick. Okay, Eric Holder, the kinds of things that they did to decrease the docket side for brothers that were going in and out of the court system because they might have uh, a small amount of crack cocaine on them, the kinds of things that they did with legislation to make sure that those individuals would not be getting all that time for having a small amount of um, uh, crack cocaine on them. And I think that were probably, I, I couldn't even give you the percentage of people that they decided not to give any jail time at all. And there were any number of um, high-end racketeering gangsters that Eric Holder's people basically arrested. Um, they they, they um, arrested um and other than me telling you to go to his website, um, that's, that's off the top of my head. Uh, that's, that's the best that I can probably do off the top of my head. I, I don't want you to think that I am a quote-unquote Obama advocate. I'm just trying to say to you that in the scheme of things, one has to be mindful that the president presides over the corporation, and America is a corporation. I, do, I will say to you, however, that I think he got his eyes open. And his eyes were opening rather slowly as he was processing the fact when he got past the fact that being a congressman or a senator wasn't really a stepping stone to do more for the people. It was just a stepping stone to be placed in a position to be a figurehead, to be placed in the illusion of being able to do more for the people. Because, you know, things, major decisions are made in Congress and Senate. And I haven't got to tell you how frequently the Republicans had his hands tied around a number of things that he would like to have done. But I only say that to reiterate to a lot of people that um, we're deceiving ourselves if we think that being the president of a corporation um, dictates how the corporation will run. Because all corporations, they have a chief operating officer and then they have the chief executive officer. And the chief executive officer oftentimes has to juggle whatever needs to get done in the corporation with the chief operating officer. So... 
again, and at the risk of sounding like I'm, I'm sort of like splitting hairs, other than me splitting hairs, I'm trying to reiterate that America is a corporation. She is a business entity. She is wedded to her stocks and her bonds and how much money can her constituents make off how she allocates her resources. Okay, that's not really uh, my question. Uh, I would encourage anybody, if you're so interested, uh, we discussed this in great detail uh, way back in 2011 with the Awakening OMG, uh, The President is Black. Um, I don't want to, I'm not even interested in rehashing that. My question is, with President Obama's successor waiting in the wings, given what you just shared, does this make us reevaluate? the last eight years of his time in the White House. So, if I, if I, let me see if I can follow you. Are you suggesting that we're going to evaluate what he did or did not do? Now we're going to weigh it, whether or not it will maintain any degree of viability for whatever that means in light of the new president that's moving into the White House? Is that your question? You specifically, make sure I get that in. I'm just asking you specifically, not in a general sense, but you specifically, uh, do you reevaluate your assessment of his time in the White House, given who's going to be replacing him in a matter of days? Um, could you could you make that a little bit more concrete for me? Sure, I heard you sure. You said me specifically. You specifically, whatever your analysis is of president Obama, whatever he's been able to do and whatever these two terms, whatever they mean uh, for your understanding of the world and how things run in this part of the globe, does that change? And if so, how now that, okay, I got you. I got you now. I'm, I'll tell you this. This is what I think. I think that I think Obama is acutely aware. I think Michelle was already aware. And of, of course, you know, conversations between the first lady and her husband, they, they're not going to get aired on MSN and CNN News. I think she was already acutely aware. I think, I think Obama really thought, I think he really thought, particularly during his first term, and probably the first year of his second term, because he was reelected, that America was really going to try to figure out how they could get some things done for the greater good. So I think in his reevaluation, this is my assessment, I think he's now looking at the facts. Wait a minute. You guys are putting a guy in the White House that tells you he wants to befriend Putin. That's not really the uh, the question, though. Like, I'm not really asking to give, like, an assessment of what you think President Obama's thinking. I'm thinking you, Dr. Rasayan, like, are you, have you mm-hmm. reevaluated or do you have the same, the same way that you evaluate his time in office? Is it the same, even knowing what you know now about who's going to be replacing him, or did it change at all? Did my assessment of him change now, given that Trump's coming in? Yes, sir. No, my, my assessment hasn't changed. Okay. My assessment hasn't changed. My assessment hasn't changed at all. My assessment is the same as it was before, because I don't think that he was unintouched with the fact that America is racist as hell. My assessment is now that Trump's coming in, Trump is going to remind all of the rednecks and all of the people in America that, they didn't want a black man in the White House in the first place, number one. So Trump is like, you know how you stretch a rubber band? It's like the rubber band will stretch, and now the rubber band's going to come right back to its natural state, even though I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But I think that a lot of folks think that that will happen now that Trump is in the White House. I mean, that he will be moving into the White House because Trump is, well, first of all, my assessment has not changed of Obama. 
given that Trump is not going into the White House. As a matter of fact, I think that by virtue of the fact that he's in the White House, I reluctantly say to you that's one of the reasons why Trump is in the White House, because white folk were operating out of like, okay, so it was a black guy in the White House. And I actually believe that America would probably bend over backwards to try to make everything that Trump does actually work because they want to stain whatever legacy Obama has by saying this, even this crazy demented white boy. And by the way, when I say crazy demented, I don't want to suggest literally that I think Donald Trump is crazy and demented. I think Donald Trump represents the kind of figurehead that America is more comfortable having in the White House rather than having Hillary in the White House as a woman more of an issue of her being a woman rather than her political beliefs per se. So, and that question that you ask, it's, it's layered with so many things. So if you would pinpoint specific things, literally that you'd like me to respond to, I can probably give you a more definitive response to what you're asking me. Okay. You said one of the, and I mean real meager because I have heard no one step forward and say that, yeah, the affordable care act has been great uh, for black people, even Ta-Nehisi Coates. Well, okay. hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, okay. hang on. Even mm-hmm. Ta-Nehisi Coates in uh, the piece uh, where he was talking about some of the accomplishments, and it was a real short list that was on the list, and it had lots of caveats, including a pretty gargantuan, in my opinion, that a lot of the southern states where you have a highly disproportionate number of black people because of that whole enslavement thing where they had the power to say, no, we're not going to expand our program to take your federal dollars because we're not with this nigger in the White House and we're not going with the Obamacare plan. And that did happen in states like Louisiana and Florida, where you had white Republican governors who rejected uh, that plan. So a lot of black people did miss out on some of the goodies from uh, Obamacare. And my question about President uh, or President-elect Trump waiting in the wings, does that change your assessment of President Obama one of the big things that he has been boasting about is priority one, dismantling the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so even if that is one of the benefits, caveats or no, the person waiting in the wings is saying that is job one. We're trashing that. Does that force a reassessment? OK, first of all, let me clarify. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, I do. I, I, when I say I stand corrected in terms of perspective, because I do recall when you break it down, and you start looking at those states in the Bible Belt. There were not any, uh, how should I say, substantial increase in benefits across the board for um, disenfranchised uh, brown and black people. So you're absolutely right in that regard. I was talking about globally, collectively, and I wasn't suggesting that it was the best thing. I was simply saying that one of the things that he did do that would be identified as achievement, and that was virtually in terms of the number of people that had more access to health care. So I stand corrected and informed in terms of tweaking uh, my response to acknowledge what you said with regard to the Bible Belt, southern states, where there are even any major urban environment where there were a lot of black people in particular, they did not become, how should I say, um, um, numerically more, having more health care readily available to them across the board. So you're right in that, in that regard, even though there were benefits, but you are right when you look at it from a statistical point of view. Now, in terms of Trump coming in, I think this is just one little isolated um, issue. And when I say one little isolated issue, I think that the agenda that Trump takes to the White House is a lot bigger than what has been going on with health care in terms of black people in the United States. I think what Trump is taking into the White House is much more of a global insidious agenda to do some of the things that white folk don't really talk about. 
Donald Trump has already begun to surround himself with people. And by the way, feel free to interrupt me at any time you choose if I'm straying away from what you're actually asking me. So you can just inject to refocus. I'm very comfortable with that, and I invite that, and I encourage that. Donald Trump is operating out of what I consider a much broader global agenda to control black people all over the world. And at the risk of exploiting all of the resources by surrounding himself with an isolated few people <clears throat> that will probably create some kind of token programs throughout the U.S. that will create the illusion, if it's a polarized benefit for certain segments of black folk, I think that will be done for show. But I do think that the greater and the grander agenda is going to be geared more toward what you were talking about earlier when you may, you didn't talk about it in detail, we talked about Yuri. Um, we talked about how the Japanese are placing encampments, and you even had when Neely Fuller was talking about genocide, that's what they have on their mind, what they just said. And you know, and I know Neely knows, they're not going to tell you that's what they're thinking about doing. But I do think they're going to become a lot more insidious okay. with how to implement that. You could that, say, Papa, you could stray away from, from the question a little bit. If, if we're going down into specifics, what I, my question about reassessment of what we think about President Obama's time in office, particularly if we're saying that this was somehow beneficial for black people, even in some small way, one of the tangible things listed was affordable care. Not just president-elect, but many of the people that are supporting him, potential staff members, cabinet members, they have all pretty much said in unison, job one, we're trashing the Affordable Care Act, uh, which was not as helpful to black people as maybe it could have been or maybe people hoped it would be. Uh, I didn't really hear a response about that. And then, two, even what you said about a lot of the people that he's bringing in people like Jeff Sessions, who's been nominated for attorney general, uh, the job that Loretta Lynch, first black female to hold that position, now in, formerly held by Eric Holder, the meager gains with what they call criminal justice reform. I don't think Alabama's Jeff Sessions is going to continue any of that. So again, would that force a reassessment of President Obama's time in office? You know, the reason why it's hard for me to probably pinpoint what you're asking me is because, A, either I really don't know, or B, I'm trying to figure out how to compartmentalize um, certain strands of what he may have been able to do and unable to do in the White House. That's why my thesis statement was, America is a corporation. She is a business entity. And as a business entity, um, he was in no position to basically delegate to Congress and Senate, things that he may have wanted, even if they did or did not cross his mind, to actually be done to be, you might say, specifically beneficial to black people. And I'm reiterating that because I want to point out that I think black folk have deceived themselves and they think being the president of the United States means that the president can carve out an agenda to work for any particular segment of the population. Here is the irony. Ironically, I think some of the things that President Obama did were probably more beneficial for the LBGT community more so than any other president that they have had. I will say that. And the only reason I say that is because that reminds me of the reality of that particular segment of the American populace as being more valuable than black people because regular heterosexual black people are devalued because that means more black folk are going to have babies and have families. Conversely, LBGT community, people are going to be engaged in whatever it is that they find joy in living their lives through, and probably, probably they might adopt, but you haven't got to worry about 
black and brown people having children if they're in fact embracing that lifestyle. So I'll say he did that as a benefit to them. And he didn't necessarily do that exclusively by himself. He did that because America was more receptive to that being done. Conversely, she's not receptive to anybody doing anything to the benefit of black people. Does that make sense? Um, it doesn't answer the question, which you conceded in the beginning that you were having some difficulty uh, answering, but it's logical. I don't think I understand what you're, what you're asking me. I really don't think I understand what you're asking me. And I, don't, I know I'm not blocking and denying it because it seems like you're asking me, does my assessment change of President Obama's work now that Trump is the president-elect? Because that's, that's what you're asking me, right? That's, yes. And I'm like, how can my assessment change of the things that he's done versus who's coming in because who's coming in has clearly said over and over again that he's going to either try to undo anything that he has done to probably help black black people and or anything that he has done to try to help people that have less money than affluent people so i'm trying to figure out my assessment obviously will not change the things that he was able to probably do in light of the fact of what his resources were like to get what he needed to get done done and secondly I'm trying to figure out how would my assessment change what he did versus what Trump proposed that he would probably do. I will say this to you. I think that anything that is so-called beneficial to the corporation, Donald Trump might tweak just a little bit to put his stamp on it, but he's not going to completely get rid of. I think that he might tweak it a little bit as long as it's going to benefit um, those individuals that have wealth. I also think that, I mean, that's, that's the best that I can give you because the bottom line is how would Trump coming into the White House change my assessment of President Barack Obama? I'll say this to you when, I, when you told me that wasn't what you asked me. I think that he's reassessing like, damn, I really would have been nice. I could have buckled down and more aggressively pursued this and pursued that because the reality is the light that they're going to shine on the White House right now is going to try and stain everything that he thinks that he did do that was beneficial to the American people. And they're going to try to shine a polished light on everything that Trump might do that is reasonably beneficial to people. So, again, like I already told you, I'm having trouble trying to figure out how to answer that that question in terms of comparing one with the other. Okay, it seems like the answer would be no. It seems like you did answer at that time and saying, why would your assessment change because he uh, came in? It seems like the answer was no, uh, if I heard you correctly, which is fine. If that's the answer, your assessment of President Obama does not change no problem. Uh, and it might be I need to uh, refine uh, the question uh, to tweak it a little bit uh, to kind of get at more of the detail. But I felt like that's been a pretty common theme uh, that I've heard a lot of people ask about how do we evaluate or reassess President Obama's legacy, uh, given that Trump is going to be following. I feel like that's been a pretty, pretty popular uh, topic. OK, uh, I got a question. Yes, I, got, I got a question. My mm -hmm. question is here's my question. How here's my question. How can we reassess what Obama may have done or may not have done by comparing him to somebody that has not even been sworn in yet based upon what he proposes to do? Because the thing about the wall and all the other things about the Muslims with the registry and the list and all that, quite frankly, I think, I think Trump will probably figure out a real insidious way to come up with a list. Um, the Pharaoh did the exact same thing with the Jewish people. You follow me? They're not going to be, it won't be, they won't be transparent about it. I think they're going to do a lot of stuff. They're just not going to tell us that they're doing it. Matter of fact, one of my fears, my concerns is that I have concerns that 
um, Trump's folk may decide they want to come in and put more controls on the Internet. Not like Korea or not like China, but that's one of my concerns. And those individuals could figure out how to put what I call insidious layer controls. Layer controls would be rather than us telling you that people don't have access to the Internet. Imagine use this for an example. You're too young, but ask your parents. They know there was a time when telephone used to be plugged into the wall. The telephone was considered a landline. It may cost you anywhere from eight to fifteen dollars a month to have a phone. You follow me? You made long distance phone calls. You pay for them. Today, people have cell phones. Probably seventy percent of all reasonably intelligent people over the age of ten probably has access to a damn cell phone or probably a smartphone. So if if Trump's people decide they want to put more constraints on the internet, they don't have to say where you can go. They can just charge you more money. So let's say the average person now has access to Wi-Fi and internet in their home for $65 to $90 a month. Let's say they made that $800 a month. They didn't say that you couldn't have access to the internet. They just said you can't afford it. You follow me? Or they could have bells and whistles. You could get basic internet to get your cable stations and all that kind of crap. But to use your smart devices in your phone, let's say that shit costs a grand a month. So they didn't say we are controlling the internet. We put prices on the internet so you don't have access to it. I have a concern about things like that. I also have a concern that as he's ushered into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, a lot of these little hillbilly precinct police stations, the policemen are going to feel that they can do a lot more crap that's going to be state-driven than subject to some kind of federal guidelines. I have concerns about that. Context of white supremacy, Dr. Niana Rasayan. I wanted to ask you about the trial, uh, now convicted murderer, uh, white supremacist, white terrorist, Dylan Roof. Uh, folks have questions they would like to ask Dr. Rasayan. The number is 641-715-3640, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, quick question. I got my journal here uh, that they released uh, for Dylan Storm Roof uh, from the trial. Um, before I get to the conviction aspect of it, I thought some of the details, because it seemed like the, the trial did not get very much attention at all uh, in terms of other trials that I've seen them really hype up and, and give a lot of the details. Some of the details that I thought were important that came out in the trial that he had visited Mother Emanuel AME Church uh, more than once, uh, that he had actually gone to the church, I think they said at least six months in advance, apparently staking out the facility. He had someone in the residence where Dylan Roof stayed, someone made a phone call to the church from that residence at some time. Obviously, they don't know who it is uh, and that he had a list of other black churches. So this could have been much worse than what it was. Uh, apparently, he initially had planned out that he could attack multiple uh, black churches and kill lots and lots of black people. Uh, and then they released his journal as well. I just two of the passages that stuck out to me uh, to get your thoughts on this or any other details that uh, came out from the trial that you thought were important. Um, in his journal, he wrote, I am not doing this to fight for what white people are, but rather what I know we have the potential to be. That's one. And then he has one other line right beneath it. Actually, people joke about prison rape without ever thinking about how sick it really is. It's a touchy subject. I know but white nations 
need to confront it. Right together, same page, first paragraph, and then second paragraph. Uh, those details or anything else that came out from the trial that you think is important that we should think about? Well, first of all, I think that those messages were coded, and I think that um, white America, I won't say the Bible, but white America in general, I think that the, the, the heinous, vile crime that this white boy actually committed it was designed to be symbolic and ideally to do exactly what he alleged in his manifesto, like to basically incite a race war because um, that meaning that he would serve as an example is I, I, I really, this is a very clear uh, metaphor uh, analogy to use it to, to make the point. It's almost like when the Marines hit the beachhead, everybody knows that when the Marines go there, the Marines go there to get the shit started. They go there to handle the real shit, and other people are going to come along behind them, not to clean up, but to reinforce and do what the Marines started. So I think that he was, and I know Marines would be upset with me for using this crazy white boy as an example to make this point, but the point is, is he was put in place to be a tool of war, a catalyst to incite a war. And I think those other churches were not necessarily churches that were his agenda. They could have been target places. But given the history of Mother Emmanuel and how well-known that church is, her history, her legacy in the South, I think it was designed to be a symbolic hit, hoping that it would inspire other demented, pathological white folk to do something similar. And at the same time, put so much fear in the hearts of black people that they would basically think this. You can't even turn to God. You're not even safe in prayer. So wherever you go, there is the all lurking power of the white man. And no matter where you go, the white man is here. He is here to get you, to put you in your damn place. Now that comment about what happens in prison, I think that's part of a conversation he may have had with somebody to say to him like, okay, you probably going to, you probably successful given that you stake this place out doing what you're going to do, but you're going to get locked up and you get locked up. You might get raped. So that was his like um, his prelude plea to like they need to have some guidelines in place because that's always a stereotypical fear that um, white boys have. And some guys have in general, they get incarcerated. They think they're going to become a victim of a butthole bandit, you know, so that's the little fear of men that are not secure in their manhood. It's like they're already weak and punkish in the first place. But then the thing that they're going to go into a penitentiary and somebody going to single them out to just want to rape them because there are a number of guys in the joint that are running around embracing the rule of while they're incarcerated to be feminine or to be available to somebody for basic protection. And there are a lot of polarized gangs and things like that in incarceration right now. So I think that was his plea for like, if I do wind up getting locked, there needs to be some things in place to protect me. I think somebody already jacked his butt up in August in the first place. I don't know if they did that to him. So, but in terms of identifying churches, I think it was designed to put fear in folks' hearts, also to put the word out is this is where we need to go and get black people. So not only do you physically kill them there, you kill their faith. Wow. Wow. What have you seen in a lot of the mainstream reports like USA Today, uh, the Washington Post? Many, matter of fact, it was the, one of the photographs of the year, in my opinion. They had the Washington Post. That's your neck of the woods. The Washington Post, they had, this was in the summer. So they had, this is online, they had an article on one side of the paper, it was Nate Parker. Nate Parker is a rapist. He owes us more than words. Uh, him just coming out and saying that he's sorry about these allegations 
uh, from way back when, uh, that's not enough. And we want more. We demand more. So they had that on one side. On the other side, directly next to it, Dylan Roof, must his life must be spared. A whole article, and it was specifically directed at black people and saying that people who think they are a part of the legacy of the civil rights movement, uh, that taking this man's life is not justice, uh, that life in prison. Okay, Gus, help me understand, Nate. Okay, give me some more demographics on Nate. On? The brother that, the, oh, on the Nate person Parker? that actually, yeah, Nate Parker. Okay, uh, his, his accuser is uh, a white woman. Uh, she allegedly committed uh-huh. suicide in 2012. Uh, this all went to trial. He was acquitted. Uh, his partner, black or not partner, uh, a black male friend who also worked on the film, uh, was convicted, uh, but it was appealed and the conviction was overturned. Uh, so, and again, all this happened. While okay, he and he was about how, about how? Hello. He was in. He was at Penn State. Hey, you go. Oh, can you hear me? Gosh. Can you hear me? Whoa. Uh, not. Oh, can you hear me, no. Doctor Rasayan? No, I, I can hear you. I, I got you. you okay, you. Okay, so the bottom line is, you, you, like, they're juxtaposing it. They're like, spare, spare the white boy. Yes. But throw the book at the other person, right? Or see, Nate, Nate see, Parker, it's just that Nate Parker, we're still upset with Nate Parker and Dylan Roof, he should be spared. And I thought it was important because these were side by side. Uh, Dylan Roof said he was doing this because black males were raping white women, like Nate Parker's accused of doing. Okay, I got you. That's, that's it. You, you just lay, I'm so, you're always bringing these things to our attention. See, listen, remember when I told you in psychology something called priming? And do you remember when they had the little preliminary, when they, he had to go to court to acknowledge what he had done, and, and the judge had nerve to say, the, the seated judge said that, well, there aren't just victims that are lost their lives here, but um, um, Dylan also had, he's a victim too. Remember when the, the judge said that, and people were saying that they, were, they felt sorry for him and that kind of thing, and one right. person said they didn't feel sorry for him? Right. You remember that? Yes, sir. Okay, so the bottom line is the judge was priming those people for sympathy. So when you look at that paper side by side, they're saying, yeah, this white boy that you all thinking about putting to death was just a young man, a young white boy who probably ran into bad company. He killed nine black people. But look at this person that raped one of our beloved white angels. Look at this person. This is what you should be looking at in context and thinking less about taking this person's life. That's priming. And what would you expect from the Washington Post, brother? It might be in my neck of the woods, but that's probably one of the reasons why you read more than I do. You follow me? I understand. It's just like you say, you don't go to the cinema and things like that. There are certain things that I study. And it's kind of like in the Internet when they told you about the election. They fanned all this crap, talk about fake news. Shit, 85% of the damn news is fake, period, across the board, before they even started calling it fake news. It's called propaganda. You follow me? And by virtue of the fact that it's propaganda, one can become overwhelmed with trying to determine where is the truth embedded in the propaganda. So that story, the way they couched that story, the way they pitched that story, trying to suggest to you to give this white boy some sympathy. And he didn't kill nine damn people. Clearly went in there with a fortifier, probably rehearsed the shit. You saw him going into place, checking. You even saw him leaving the place like he hadn't done a damn thing. And I understood they took him to McDonald's or some crap to get some food out of the fact. And like their brother told you in the um, OR, in the emergency room, I mean in the ER, they strap the black people down to the gurney. They unstrap the white people. Then they, all of a sudden they forget and they leave. That's institutional racism live and well. What you saw in the Washington Post, even though I think Amazon, I think the people that own Amazon, I think they bought the Washington Post. You follow me? You have to be mindful of what Dr. Wilson always tells us. This is a system. 
You know, in every venue of human interaction, the system of white supremacy is alive and well. It's a system. It's designed to do what it does. And what it does is malign and marginalize us to the degree that no one values us as it simultaneously takes us off the planet. And it does such a great job of doing that that Dr. Joy DeGruy had to come on the scene and tell all of us and remind us of our own illness. Not only are we in a system of white supremacy, each of us is struggling with our own degree of um, uh, post-traumatic slavery syndrome. So we don't value ourselves. So when you see a story like that, they appeal to the sympathy and the empathy in us by hoping that we're going to be quote unquote godlike and be forgiving. That's why I told you we started talking about 55 minutes ago. I said something like, if you're fortunate enough to smack my right cheek, I'd be damned if I'm going to turn around and let you smack the left cheek. That's not in me. You feel me? And so what they do is they put in front of us in places of so-called authority, and those of us that have some degree of training slash education, Curtis Mayfield, uneducated fools from uneducated schools, we sign off on that crap and say, it's a damn shame. They're thinking about taking that boy's life. He killed nine people. And I'm not into dehumanizing humans, but the bottom line is in a situation like that, shit, go back and visit the people of France. Put the damn guillotine on damn 2020. Let you people see what happens to folk when they do shit like that to people. You have to make an example of people that do shit to your folk so folk will understand what they are, the consequences are. But when you can go around and kill black people and do what that person did in South Carolina, I think it was also Charleston, when that damn burly damn policeman or security for the school came in the classroom and damn their body slammed that little child from the chair to the floor, the girl that was sitting in the chair and just threw her to the damn floor, then drug her across the classroom, and I don't know whether or not they fired him or whatever the hell they did with him. His behind should be like they say, tar and feather in public. But what we do is we sit back and we intellectualize about it. We have an intellectual conversation about it. You know, how are we going to compare this and compare that to that? This man had a 45 caliber pistol. I, don't, I think he might have had hollow points. I don't really know. But a 45 caliber Glock, 45 caliber shot those people at close range multiple times. I tell black people that don't know what it looks like to see somebody that's got had a, a round released on them within one meter of proximity to their body from a high velocity, a high power pistol. Think about somebody running over your cat or your dog twice on the freeway. Shit like that, depending upon where the impact of the round hit the body. Think about shit like that. Think about the smell of blood and bone together. All right. What it smells like. Think about the smell of gunpowder. Think about the friction of the heat. Think about what that shit smells like then you will lose that cognitive intellectual analysis of like, well, you know, I wonder should this person be up for the death penalty? I'm concerned that they're going to tell us three months from now or six months from now when they start talking about a sentence, whether or not they're going to declare that he tried to speak on his own behalf and he has some kind of issues with sanity because he wanted to try to defend and speak up for himself. There are so many loopholes in America's system of Jewish prudence and all of those loopholes are designed to find a place to release white folk from their pathology. What did they say about that brother that was decapitated? Was it Jasper, Texas, when they, they, they um, drug his body across town, they chained him until his head was severed from his body? Was it Jasper? Yes, sir. Okay, and, so, and what did they say? These little white boys, they probably had, had a little bit too much to drink, and they, were, they just got a, you might say, a little full of themselves, and they just got a little overexcited about it, and that's what young people do. This 21-year-old white boy went inside of that damn church, shot nine damn people. Nine people. Took the lives of nine people. And then when y'all arrest him, you don't throw a damn 
blanket of chains over his head or a net over his head. You walk up behind him like you're pulling him over for a traffic stop. And then you take him to get some damn food from McDonald's. And then when I saw him in the courtroom, I didn't see him. He might have had him on, but they didn't show you. I didn't see him chained with his hands like super chained behind. You know how they make a brother like he can hardly take like a, a foot of a step because he's chained shackles around his waist, shackled behind his hands, feet shackled together. I saw a brother that had allegedly had driven a school bus. I don't know what city it was in the news in the past six weeks. He was driving too fast in the neighborhood. And I think three to five children lost their lives. And they had that brother shackled as they were walking him in the courtroom. There was also something that happened. It was either in Atlanta. I mean, it was either in Georgia or it was in Alabama where a, a guy had burglarized the house and he shot the dog. I think the dog died and they gave him, they either gave him natural life in prison or 15 damn years. Wow. For shooting the dog. So what I'm trying to say to you, brother, back to what Dr. Wilson says, the system of white supremacy. We allow this stuff. And so we get concerned about the new person that's going into the White House. You think about that, man. America, you said 53% of white women voted for this man. After all the crap that he said about white women, they dismissed what he said about white women. They dismissed it. And then they had the nerve to say it was some lady from West Virginia talking about she'd be glad to see Donald Trump's wife in the White House because she had referred to the first lady as some kind of version of another mammal. All right. Not calling her a human. She'd be glad to see uh, a, a woman in the White House that could bring some dignity to the White House. And I told you when I mentioned it before, the White House probably smells like roses now and baby's breath compared to the Venus flytraps that they're about to move in there. And I already told you earlier, if you were to look at the genealogy of the current president-elect and look at his family tree, his mama Mary Trump and Fred Trump, and then if you were to back up and look at his grand, or Frederick Trump, his grandfather, the German immigrant, they say he was a pimp and a drug dealer. And he got his money from opium dens and brothels. All right? context of white supremacy uh, I do think it's been a lot that's why I use the term victim I think whites have done a very successful job uh, propagandizing uh, but you talked about it from the very beginning even what the judge was doing uh, victimizing the family of the people who had just been slaughtered in that church uh, and the way that he talked to them and saying that Dylan Roos family that they were victims too and and all of this uh, and, and the psychological impact that that had on those victims at that time uh, and also I think it's extremely important not all of the family members of the victims of Mother Emanuel uh, were about forgiveness quite a few of them have stated publicly and consistently for the past year and a half that they do not forgive and they will not forgive Dylan Roof and they support him getting the death penalty. Uh, they have said, I'm paraphrasing, he committed the crime. Hey, if that's what he gets, that's what he gets. I'm with it. Quite a few of them have said that. It's, it's not a, uh, all of them have just taken that stance that they forgive and, and want to go to church with him. Uh, but I do think whites have done as they generally do, a great job of propagandizing and just keeping lots and lots of stories. Sometimes they'll have a non-white author. These could be ghostwritten where a white person actually writes it and they just put a black uh, name on it or say that this person wrote it, uh, but saying we should spare uh, Dylan Roof uh, and, you know, we should give him mercy and killing him won't, you know, solve any pride. I think they have done a great job of uh, propagandizing that view and confusing a lot of black people into thinking 
that if we are if we go high when they go low white people will accept us and they will not mistreat us and that is just not the nature of the pathology we've been discussing uh we had a check, check this out check this out and we're gonna get the call check this out guys so listen now i have a master's degree in clinical psychology okay from fisk university Mary medical college phd neuroscience psychology, all right, biological psychology, brain behavior relationships, worked as a clinician for over 20 damn years in psychology, um, diplomat licensed certified by African psychologists in Washington, D.C. Uh, not Washington, D.C., but throughout the United States, all over. The, what I, the reason why I say that to you is it's not I, 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 this. It's like I'm trained in psychology. I study psychology. I study brain behavior relationships in psychology. And what we do as black people is we will listen to a white journalist on CNN News or MSNBC News that has a bachelor's degree in journalism. And we will allow that person to interpret to us a variety of psychological phenomena to the black community because they are cute, they look nice, and they're on television, and they have wide visibility. My point is this. When people put folk in front of you that are cute and they speak well, they don't have to know a damn thing about the dynamics of what happens inside of the human psyche, all they have to do is say stupid stuff to us and have an audience. Take Don Lemon. Like what Don Lemon said when that brother was shot, I forgot the one that was shot recently, the policeman on top of him, they shot him and they were wrestling with him and they shot him, they said he had a gun. I don't even remember his name, they kill us like flies so frequently. And then people were saying stuff like, well, we don't know what happened before that happened. We don't know what occurred. How are we going to allow a journalist to interpret for us the psychological phenomena that have perpetually impacted us as a people because we are victims of zombification. We need to be de-zombified. We don't think anymore, period. Wow. The person that dialed in, caller in Alabama, did you have a question for Dr. Niana Rasayan? You should be with us. Other folks, if you have a question, just press star six and we'll get you as well. Caller in Alabama, did you have a question? Hmm. Caller in Alabama, are you there, sir? Hope the switchboard is not malfunctioning. Hello, hello. Yes, we can hello? hear you. Yes, sir, we can hear you. Oh, okay, okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I did have few questions. I um go with the ones on based on white supremacy first. Um one one question I did have is about like, you know, about the idea that, you know, the police or government sanctioned officials might, you know, raise the bar or what they say turn up a level on, you know, government sanctioned genocide of African Americans. And I, I, um, in my opinion, I kind of find it hard to believe. Um, I don't think they'll turn up a notch on it. Do you, uh, you know, can you uh, I, just, just get to your question? It's in the question. Yeah, it's in the question. It's, it's in the question form. Uh, I'm saying that it's not that they're going to turn up a level on it. It's just that if you could see it, it's been like a consistent pattern of government-sanctioned genocide. And my question is, and does um, does Dr. Rashiyan think instead of like um, Donald Trump turning up government sanctioned terrorism, 
it will just be a continue. Does he, do he think it will just be a continuation of the same thing, like Charleston, um, the same thing of like uh, Walter Scott, Arthur Sterling, Philandro Castillo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like America don't skip a beat in killing black people. And I really think, I wonder, I wonder does, does he really think, like, is it going to just be a consistent pattern instead of them turning up? Because they, they're killing us anyway. You know, so that's that's the um, first question. And the second question I asked him, because he, he was speaking about something that was spiritual, when he was when he was talking about, um, you know, the ancestors showing themselves. You know, one thing I, I want to ask him, because, you know, I, I, I used to see Hank growing up. You see what I'm saying? And the last Hank I seen was uh, my aunt. You know, and I ran out the house. I hardly had no clothes on when she came. They used to come all the time. But since that time, I haven't seen them. And they were like the dog shadow type. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder, like, because it seemed like he had knowledge on it. I wonder, like, do 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 he think that I stopped them from coming forever when I ran like that? Or will they ever come back again? And that was it. That was, that was the end of my question. I'm going to mute my line. Um, Chris, does this silence mean? Does this silence mean that um, I I can respond now? Um, yes, sir. Okay. The first thing about the policeman in terms of turning up the volume, um, the the word that I use, I use a, a term, a German term called Zeitgeist. Everybody knows about it. Z e i t g e i s t Zeitgeist, and the Zeitgeist simply means the political climate. It means that I'm suggesting to you that now that you have the president elect who clearly makes definitive statements that polarize so-called race issues or ethnic issues, I'm suggesting to you that precincts, policemen, sheriffs, deputies may be a little bit more comfortable doing what they've done all along. They may be a little bit more comfortable. That does not necessarily mean that it's going to happen at a greater frequency because I frankly think that the frequency probably hasn't changed dramatically. I actually think that we just have more people with cell phone cameras taking pictures of it. So it's been ongoing. It's part of America. It is as American as American apple pie, okay? Racist-ass people, people that might have a high school diploma, possibly maybe one year of college or one semester of college, and they wind up getting a job in a police precinct in a small southern town or urban environment after they go to the police academy, and they feel empowered, okay? Because these guys, anyway, that's the answer to that. In terms of you looking at shadows and things like that, that's a little bit beyond what we can actually engage. I will say this to you. Just use a little bit of common sense. If you fled your home almost naked in your bare feet and your pajamas in the wee hours of the morning, trust me, those loved ones that used to come and visit you, they realized that you were not mature enough to handle seeing them and that they were inadvertently putting you in harm's way. So as they put you in harm's way, whatever kind of messages that they were bringing to you, they probably reduce themselves to coming more so in your dreams rather than showing up as phantoms or as apparitions or phantoms in your midst because you probably did not have the resources around you to have the maturity to handle it. So they probably felt that they were bringing you more jeopardy than they were bringing you aid. So that's my assessment of that. And yes, brother, all of us have an understanding of what happens with the ancestors when they go over to the other side. It's just like when I shared with Gus a little earlier that the English lexicon, this language, does not do justice to us talking about uh, the, uh, those uh, that love us as they cross over because there are layers and there are dimensions 
of energy that present themselves depending upon how perceptive we are. For example, dogs can hear certain things that humans can't hear, okay? Um, cats can see certain things that dogs can't see. Dogs can see things that only can be seen by certain dogs, and horses can see things that dogs and cats can see. And there are people that can see those things, and we call those people psychics. However, when those people see those things and they have not been trained in terms of how to make it known to other people that are unable to see those things, we don't call those people psychic. We call them psychotic. We say they are hallucinating. So the fabric of reality as we know it as a material being is as unique as a slice of bread and a loaf. The entire loaf of bread is available to us to process. I talk about that very gingerly in my um, first book, Reality Check, and I put more on the website. It doesn't go into a lot of detail. It just has one chapter, one section that explains that to you. Um, we live in a world that reduces our reality to white folks' version of reality. And white folks' version of reality, unfortunately, leaves out what reality really is. That's why early on in this conversation, I mentioned that Gus, when we were talking about hidden figures, um, we've been thinking all along that mathematics is really hard, failing to realize that math is music. And if we don't understand that math is music and music comes naturally to black people, then a lot of us are still going to say stupid stuff like, damn, man, algebra is hard. Wow, calculus, I can hardly pronounce that. And God knows trigonometry got to be really difficult. That stuff belongs to us. But white America has told us with teachers that were so well trained that they forgot the dynamics of how to impart the knowledge and share the knowledge, that they structured the knowledge in such unique steps that it made it a challenge for us to grasp the simplicity of the pure mathematics. So we wound up thinking that, oh man, I can't do math. I mean, God knows math is hard. And those of us that have been able to see spirits, we've been trained not to talk about it. And just like anything, I always tell people this when I want to crack a joke. If you wanted to show somebody your greatest asset, no matter how much money you had, no how much education you had, no matter how nice your cars and your homes are, you would not take off your shoe and show them your little toe to try to convince them that they should spend time with you because your little toe receives the least amount of attention, which means it doesn't grow that well. The nail probably isn't super well defined and it doesn't stand out as something that you want to look at or show off as an attribute. So it goes neglected. So if you neglect your spiritual self, if you neglect that part of you that allows you to be in touch with your ancestors, that part of you will atrophy. And as it pops up randomly, it will startle you. Period. Thanks. You may you may you help you help make a lot of sense out of a lot of things. Thanks. Thanks for um, responding. Appreciate that. Uh Thomas in New York. Did you have a question for Dr. Rasayan? Thomas in New York, are you with us, sir? Can you hear us? Hmm. Don't know if we'll try again. Uh, Thomas in New York, can you hear us, sir? Still not hearing. That is odd. Uh, I will try. Are you with us, sir? Thomas in New York? If it doesn't, I don't... I've uh, unmuted your line, but it's not... It's not unmuting for some reason. Um, if you want to hang up and dial back in, we can try it again. But I've uh, unmuted it. This will be like the fourth time. And it's not doing so. There's some sort of interference for some. Let's see if another one. Let me try uh, Lady in New York. Let's see if her line is working. Are you with us, Lady in New York? May I be 
Yep, see? Something <laughs> nutty with Thomas's line. That is so bizarre. Hang up and call back yeah, in, okay. Thomas. Yes, okay. We can hear you, lady. Okay, um, so my question is, uh, because I've heard the term um, America is a corporation well, quite a bit, so um, I want to ask you, um, Dr., um, how does America being a corporation benefit or harm black people? I still um, really do not grasp that concept. So um, explain it as if you were speaking to a seven-year-old, because I just um, don't understand how that's supposed to shape my thinking and my behavior as a um, black female. Thank you. Don't hang up. Okay, Gus, please don't hang up, my dear. Corporation, um, Latin, corpus, corpus, the, the morpheme or the, for, the first part of the word corporation comes from corpus. Corpus is Latin, it means body, all right? Ration means to make, a res- make resources available to you in succession or approximation based upon the, the number that you have to allocate certain things for ratio wise, right? You might have three for every 10. All right. So corpus corporation means to ration resources to a body. And by, um, when I say America is a corporation, I'm not saying America is a corporation because I'm saying it. I'm telling you America is a corporation because that's what she is. A corporation has to be governed. And as you govern a body, you put certain things in place to govern the body and the corporation decides which resources we made available to the body. And the people that make up the body are supposed to be the government. But the body has its resources rationed out to it by those individuals identified in the government to make decisions for the people. That's why you always hear this stuff in democracy, like it's a government for the people, by the people, of the people. But that's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, it's not true at all, all right? Because this is not a democracy. This is a plutocracy. People that have the most money make the decisions for everybody else. They make decisions determined by who's going to produce resources available to them. Black, black people in particular no longer prime tobacco, no longer pick cotton. We have computers. We are no longer an industrial society. We are a technological society. So they lock up black people and black men because black people and black men are no longer a value to the body. And because they are not a value to the body, they have decided to remove them from the body. And the way they remove them from the body is by incarcerating black men and then releasing them back to a society with hardly any access to resources that they will need to sustain a family. So when they come back and sustain a family, they cannot gain gainful employment. So they wind up doing things that we consider to be perceived as illegal. So America being a corporation and the comments that I was making about your president, the president oversees the corporation as the president elect, which means that he oversees the body. But you have um, a group of executive officers that work in a cabinet to oversee the different decisions that are made by the, the government, which is basically Senate and Congress. And the president is supposed to be the figurehead of both of those entities, Congress and Senate. All right. And the figurehead represents that which is supposed to be seen by the people to give the people the impression that I'm working in your best interest. So when I was talking earlier, when Gus had made the comments about trying to compare or my perspective of the present president with the president-elect, that I have any different pers- perspectives. And my position was I really didn't know how to have a different set of perspectives because the one that they're bringing in right now is another person that's coming in to basically be the figurehead to oversee the corporation. And he's making it very clear 
that this is a business enterprise. And he'll say to you, that's why he's bringing in people to understand how to do business on a mega scale. Now, I'll pause to see if there's anything I need to amplify in my efforts to try and cl- clarify to you what I mean by saying corporation, because I want to make sure that I try my best to answer what you said and sort of like make it very rudimentary or fundamental and clear. Are you still there, young lady? Oh, I'm still here. Um, so my following question is, with that being said, who would I go to or hold accountable for implementing justice? That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. It's rather than who, is is how do you go about identifying the who and how do you go about identifying the who is you determine for example what resources may be lacking or need to be improved in your community and you find out which offices oversee those resources availability and as you find out which offices oversee those resources availability then you figure out how is it that they wound up getting that position is that position a position that they got out of a general job application, or is that a position that they got out of somebody voting for them? And so if those people are not meeting your needs in that particular position and they were elected, that's when you corral your resources. And I'm just going to use this to illustrate the point because I'm not saying go to the NAACP. You identify who in your community that put that person in that position and say, we need to have a town meeting about this. To take, for example, Flint, Michigan. The mayor had cried out for the long and said something was wrong with the water, but nobody gave them any attention. I think that was going on in January 2014 until some journalists decided to come in and shine a little light on it and see what we do as people is we, and I'm talking about you in any way at all. We are intellectualized by, oh, wow, that was heavy. That was deep. That was profound. That was mind blowing. But what do we do after the conversation is over? Do we write a letter? Do we say you need to bring in Dr. So-and-so-and-so, the state, the city, the county needs to pay for it, and we're going to have a town meeting, and this person is going to come in and give us a workshop or a training on how we do this? Or do we just sit back and think that we can address these situations as an individual? And by the way, the word individual means that which cannot be divided. So in terms of who, you find out who that person is, how they got there, and you write letters and or get letters written, and you get other people in your church and your community to sign off on those letters and or duplicate those letters and submit those letters via snail mail and email to sound your complaint or your alarm of your concern. And if you have a resource base like a big church or big organization, you take out a big ad and whatever your major newspapers are and you get your people that write well to put together your bullets or your concerns, whatever they are, and you pay for it to have it placed in whatever one of those newspapers are, those entities are, and you put the word out there. To shine the light on it. Final thing I want to say, corporations listen to their constituents. Because their constituents, they buy their stock. And when they buy their stock, it increases the value of the corporation. And we are not valued as a people because two things we do not do. We do not write letters. We do not um, make known our complaints in a visible forum. Final thing I want to say in this context, unless you have another question that I perhaps should try to amplify a little better, there would be no brothers in the NFL running around with locks and dreads and hair the way they're wearing hair if they were not making white boys 
sevenfold the amount of money that they are making doing what they do on the football fields, entertaining these people. Because they lost their code of dress in terms of what they could have on them when they go on the field, when they realize that these guys want to express themselves, and we don't care as long as they are basically bringing in the dollars and filling these stadium seats every game and making us all the money that we're making and that kind of thing. So the bottom line is you can look like whatever you want to look like as long as you're making all these white boys money and attaining them, and we're only letting in .00002% of you all from colleges into the NFL. I hope that helped. The caller, 8010-8010. Did you have a question for Dr. Rasayan? Uh, yes, I'm calling from Florida. I was just um, wanted to ask, uh, had you uh, noticed in the news, uh, at least I had, uh, since um, Donald Trump had been elected, uh, that it was these rash of incidents uh, with uh, white people and um, charges, uh, or they're using the term now, hate crimes more frequently. Because I know even throughout um, Obama's presidency, um, white people, especially in the media, shied away from using that term. But it seemed like after the election, uh, it almost had gotten commonplace to, you know, hear that word being uh, brought up in the media. And would you consider that something that white people are just doing to just um, to be out front about, to throw um, victims off so that way they think that they're um, taking their uh, plight serious now that Donald Trump is in office so he can kind of maybe look as if, um, you know, even with, uh, I believe, Sessions? is uh, going to be over the um, Department of Justice now. Um, I just want to know what your take was on that. Okay, don't go anywhere, my dear. Check this out. Uh, remember when we were talking a little earlier and, and Gus and I were sort of like toured with the notion of, uh, matter of fact, they toured with it a lot when they talked about this particular election. They talked about fake news. And, and Gus had asked me a question, and we were talking about Obama's legacy versus um, Trump coming in and my perception of current president compared to the new one. And I'm, there's no really com no comparison. My perspective hasn't really changed. And I didn't understand what Gus was asking me. And then I, was, I went on into talking about some other things, but it wasn't answering his question. So in terms of your question specifically, there is propaganda embedded in everything that we call news. And I submit to you a humility that greater than 70%, I said 80%, somewhere between 70 to 80% of what you see as news is basically propaganda, okay? And one of the ways you can check that on your own is check the national news networks, and if you have a rewind button on your, on your, um, your um, server for your television, check out the major stories and see aren't they covering the same story for the first five minutes on each of those stations, the same story, and sometimes the theme is literally the same. Sometimes the words are not just dissimilar. So that tells you that it's not really news, it's a story that they're running, and that's why they'll tell you that. They'll say, today's story is this, the story is that. And I knew a couple of journalists, and they used to say things like, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if it's trauma, it's drama. And if it's drama, people are going to watch it, particularly if there's trauma. So in terms of there being more, quote-unquote, so-called hate crimes, there are buku hate crimes going on right now as we speak because this is America, all right? And they could be crimes against people related to gender. A lot of them could be like, 
issues related to like um, how we treat women. And clearly a whole bunch of them are related to so-called race issues, i.e. black and white and that kind of thing. The media will spin that. Keep in mind, um, the Democrats are a little befuddled about the magnitude of their loss. I think Trump has something like 330, I mean, 303 electoral votes, and maybe Hillary wound up, but he had 306 and she had 232 at the end, and you only need 270 to win, so he got 306 and she got 232. So keep in mind, the Democrats are a little disgruntled with this whole dynamic. So what they have a tendency to do is you fan the flames. And you can say that more of this is happening because Trump is in the White House. All you have to do is back up to, what, 90, 91, 92, when they beat the hell out of Rodney King. And then um, they were burning out in L.A. because they, people went to court, the police went to court for doing what they did to Rodney King. And what we saw, everybody saw on the news and saw the policemen doing, they tried to tell us what we saw. We didn't see what we saw. So those kinds of things will continue to happen. We just need to be mindful not to get sidetracked by them happening. We need to document them. And we do not need to think that they are literally happening because of Trump. They have been ongoing. All right. What we need to do is we need to address them more aggressively. I mean, we need to be more focused in terms of the positions that we take out of organizations, meaning communities, be that churches, be that black organizations, black social workers, black bar association, black attorneys. We need to take a definitive position to respond to these things as an organization, as a unit. All right. Final thing I want to say is propaganda can be very distracting, very distracting. And if we get distracted by an incident, we will lose focus on the war. And the war is a lot more important than the battle. Appreciate that, Princess. Uh, the person that dialed in from a blocked number, did you have a question for Dr. Rasayan? You should be with us. Um, yeah. Hi, Dr. Rasayan. It's, it's good to hear you again. Um, this question is concerning uh, the spiritual world. Um, ever since I was a small child, I have been afraid of deceased people. And I thought that was just something that, you know, was attributed to me being young. But I didn't know anybody else that was like that. And now I'm, a, I'm an adult, and I, I'm still like that. And I, I'm afraid. I don't. I don't go to funerals. Uh, I don't like to look at pictures of dead people in magazines or anything. And if I do that, it. it I mean, I, it scares me for like months and months at a time. I think the spirits are, you know, there, you know, with me, and you know, and it. That's just a been been a problem with me. With could you explain to me how a person could be like that? Because I don't know anybody else that's like that except for myself. You mind telling me how old you are? I'm 62. Your chronological age on the planet is 62? Yes. Six plus two. So that means that you had to have been born in something like, what, about 1955? What, what year is that? 54. 54? Yes. Okay, cool. And, and by the way, 62-year-old little lady, you sound like a little girl. Okay. Everybody always tells me that. That's because you sound like a little girl. And guess what that means? You sound like a little girl. That means you have a young spirit. And because you have a young spirit, that doesn't mean that there was not an old spirit that came through your young spirit. That means that you have a youthful spirit about your person. You feel me? Now, um, at some point, if you choose to, you can go to my website and pop up one of my email addresses. You can email me, and we can take this to the other level of development. You probably are an empath, okay? 
And um, I don't like walking in the food store around um, animals that have been slaughtered. It's funny. I walk in the store, you know, where people have the little section where they have the little food things that, and depending upon how much energy I have, I could walk in and I'll do an about face. If I'm in that side of the store, people are like, what's wrong with you? And I'll sort of like get a little quick chill. I'm sensitive to things like that too. However, given what you just told me and your, your chronological age, and I have to like look into my computer to find out what year that is on the Chinese calendar, because I don't know the month, you know, because if it was before February the 10th or something, then the whole year could, could change and that kind of thing. But the bottom line is this, um, you're probably an empath. There probably any, really isn't any reason for you to be afraid of those kinds of um, experiences in this incarnation. The challenge probably is, is that your genetic history has probably had you aligned to be able to pick up things as an empath, and you probably chose a family to come through in this incarnation that you thought would shelter you and give you some guidance around it. But unfortunately, probably were not knowledgeable enough to, to be able to do that. For whatever religious reason, they probably did, would ill-equipped to nurture your understanding of that gift. And as a result, that gift has become more of a distasteful um, nuisance or something that make you really uncomfortable. Are you following what I'm saying? A couple of more questions I'd like to ask you, but I'm not going to ask you over the air right now. And with that in mind, you probably absorb it and being absorbent and being an empath, you pick up that energy. And because you haven't figured out how to channel that energy or burn the energy off of you, it incubates inside of you. So I would suggest that you put this word in your vocabulary, lose the word that you are afraid and, 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 um, um, superimpose on where you say you are afraid with fear, something like I'm uncomfortable or I'm still learning or this is awkward for me. You follow me? This is awkward. It's uncomfortable as opposed to afraid because afraid implies that there is something to fear and fear implies there's something that you have very little knowledge of and that which you have very little knowledge of can make you think that you're in jeopardy. It's kind of like that brother that called in and said he'd see things until he had run out of his home one evening, either in his bare feet or not properly dressed, and then they didn't come and visit him anymore. Because sometimes spirits that are around you that want to guide you and help you, if you're ill-equipped to take the gifts that they want to share with you, then they'll just hover around you until you're ready. And keep in mind, they don't register time the way we register time. So being 62 Earth years on the planet, you could still be five-year-olds to them. You follow me? Yeah. Because yeah. they don't look at time the way we look at time. And two, um, all energy that is energy that can navigate and interact on this plane, the fact that it interacts on this plane. Oops, are you there? Hello? Yes, I'm still here. Um, that can interact and navigate on this plane would like to be acknowledged that it is still able to impact this plane. Imagine sitting down to a table to eat and having an appetite, but having no mouth to place your food. You follow me? But you have an appetite. Just think about what that would do to your vessel if you like to have an appetite for food. So if you're unable to sustain yourself that way, then it would be kind of like natural for you to align yourself with someone that enjoys food so you could sort of vicariously get the sensation of being fed by aligning yourself with that person that's always enjoying food. Spirits, on the other hand, if they are particularly unsettled and then there is a spirit incarnate person that can pick up that there are not settle, then that spirit is going to gravitate towards you. When my, when my uh, middle daughter went to, um, what do they call it? And when people go to the Colosseum in, in Rome in Italy, and when she was explaining to us where they take the tourists to go and show you where they stabbed um, Julius Caesar, where they stabbed him in the um, arena. 
and and she was explaining to me that everybody was going there to get their pictures taken. She said, but I could not go over there. I just felt so nauseated and uncomfortable. And this particular daughter of mine is an empath. And so I had that conversation with her later when she got back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so sweetie, you know, you weren't supposed to be there. And you, people telling you sound like a little girl, you probably have had few people that were able to tell you anything other than, oh, wow, you sound like a little girl. And I don't know you, but you probably have nurtured and given and loved and cared for people. And a lot of those people you just give to and you decide to like move on and let them go. But there've been a lot of people probably sucking off your life force like psychic vampires. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, well, people tell me I, I look real young too. When they see me and my son out together, they always think we're a husband and wife. Did that uh, answer your question? Yeah. I'm sorry for talking too long. That was me. Gus knows that with me. That's not you, sister. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Doctor. The You're welcome. Caller at seven seven eight one. Did you have a question for Doctor Rasayan? Seven seven eight one. Caller, last four digits. Seven seven eight one. Are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Doctor. You mentioned earlier that um, um, that black people are like um, zombies. Um, my question is, uh, how would you define zombies, number one? And uh, number two, um, how do we um, stop being zombies? Are you, are you at liberty to tell us your name or how I should address you when I'm speaking to you? Yes, my name is Amayahu. You can call me uh, Maya. Uh, are you saying Amayahu? Spell it. Yes. A-M-A-N-Y-A-H-U. Amaya who? Okay. And I can call Maya. you Amaya? What, how can I address you? I'm just call me Maya. Maya. Okay. My sister. Um, it's a little blurb on my website. I just, when I say I, I mean by way of me. And the only reason you hear me saying I is because it's just a limitation of the language. I never mean I like I did something independently as a person. I mean by way of me, my person. So I mean my person, okay? Um, I was privileged to um, have um, made available to me a protocol called de-zombification. And so to tell you what a zombie is, a zombie is um, an, entity, an entity or a being that, that thinks that it has consciousness because it can ambulate. You know, it can walk around, it can eat, it can talk, and it can do things like that on its own, right? But it doesn't really think. It just does routine things. And routine things translates into like, wow, I got up this morning, I made this, I brushed my teeth, I answered nature's call, blah, 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 blah. You know, I drove my car. But thinking means to get into assessing what is your purpose in life. Um, where are you going? Why are you going? What do you hope to achieve while you are going there? You follow me? And so a zombie pretty much responds to whatever software is placed into their hardware. And your body, your person is your hardware. Your brain is your hardware. Your mind sort of recalibrates your software. But your software is basically upgraded, not daily, but routinely via the media and the company that you keep, like the churches, um, stuff that you read, programs, that you, um, food that you eat, all those kinds of things. They either upgrade or downgrade your software. And so when your software is not 
internally upgraded via meditation or deep thought, you'll do the same thing over and over again. Those are called routines. For example, you might stay in a relationship that you really don't like, but you stay in it because you've learned to tolerate it. You know, you have a place to sleep. You go to, you get up in the morning, you have children. So you just do the same old thing over and over again, but you're not feeling fulfilled. All right. You're in that zombie genre when you do that. And the zombification process stays in place because there are any number of outlets. Those outlets could be sex, could be favorite food that tastes good, favorite television programs, or whatever those outlets are. They allow you to do those same routine things over and over again. The way you de-zombify yourself is you break the routine. How do you break the routine? You take a moment and collect yourself. How does one collect yourself? You identify what makes you you, what makes you unique. How is it that your uniqueness allows you to be one with everything that you interact with? How does one become one with everything to interact with? Um, if there is something that's foul around you and you smell it, then you know you need to move away from it. Because if you stay around it, you will develop a tolerance for it, okay? And if there are foods that you eat because you grew up eating them, but you know they're not good for you, then you're still in that zombie state. So you have to make decisions. You have to make conscious decisions about how you're going to navigate your life and what your intentions are in terms of achievement goals are in life. And you must have a goal every day that you awaken. It must not just be, I want to get through this day. It must be other than I'm taking one day at a time. It must transcend everything is in God's hands. It must transcend all those kinds of things. And zombies are very easy to recognize. They're routine people. They never have any individual thoughts. And individual thoughts mean they do the same thing over and over again. It's nothing new. And as I share with the other caller, you can feel free to shoot me an email and, and ask me something specifically. And I will be glad to share with you my perspective and to share with you where I think you probably should look. And the other place that I would remind you to look right now is when the phone call is over and before you fall asleep this evening, take a moment. Cleanse yourself a little bit. Relax and chill away from everything electronic, children, family, and pets alike. Take a moment. Go somewhere by yourself in a safe place and just sit there and be quiet. And don't think about anything. Just chill. And your intuitions will begin to give you some direction. Okay. Um, um, uh, thank you. Um a uh, quick question. This is my last one. Will it then be safe to say that um, that really everyone is uh, like a, uh, zombies? Um, I would caution against that. Let me share with you why. The reason why I would caution against that, um, I'm pausing because I want to make sure that I I answer your question because I understand what's driving your question because your rationale is like everybody has a little bit of that inside of them. Everybody does this and everybody does that. And to the contrary, there are a number of people that break their routine. And oftentimes those people are punished for breaking their routine. Concrete example. Um, if there's something that you're engaging in that you know it makes you unhappy, why do you continue to do it? Then you rationalize it. Well, if I do this, then that's going to happen. And then you say, well, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do know that Miss X or Mr. Y did that and it happened to him. We are afraid to take risk. All right. There are a lot of people that take risk every day. There are a few people. There are people that would prefer to say to themselves, look, I don't like that job. I'm going to quit that job. I only have enough money to live off of for the next two months. But the average person that's gainfully employed is literally living from paycheck to paycheck. 80% of the people employed in the United States are living from paycheck to paycheck. 
That means that if they miss three paychecks, they're going to be begging for money from somebody else. Okay. So the bottom line is we don't like to take risk and we don't like to take risk because risk invite what we call the unknown and unknown by its very nature mandates that you think. So no, everybody is not a zombie. As a matter of fact, um, Prince was not a zombie. Okay. Dr. Francis Chris Wilson was not a zombie. All right. Um, that's just a, well, I, mean, you, I mean, we can just go down and listen, identify some martyrs and say those people are not zombies. But they oftentimes, they pay with their lives for not being a zombie because they try to cope and handle things oftentimes on their own because there are very few people that they can share what they really think, you know? If you were to talk to somebody that claimed they love you and cared for you, and they would say, hey, sweetie, what do you really think about this, Maya? What do you really think? And Maya would say, you know what? I think that I'm tired of you asking me that same stupid question over and over again. How dare you speak to me that way? But see, you may not want to have an argument with them, so you may just say, well, you know what I think. So, I mean, it's going to need me telling what I already told you. But people will press you. So you have to take risk, my dear. But take calculated risk. Calculated risk means you take risks that give you a spectrum of consequences that you think that you can comfortably deal with. And if you really want to take a serious risk, it's just like I crack jokes and I tell you about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was explaining to somebody about how many baskets he missed one time. And he told people that he probably missed about, I think he said he missed about 65% of his shots or 70% of his shots. And they were asking, well, why did he shoot so many? And he would say something like, well, how was I going to, how was I going to make the basket if I didn't take the risk? But he's identified as one of the best basketball players that we know. And the point is, is most of the people that you meet that are very, very successful. You can take this current guy that's your president. He's had any, any number of business ventures that flopped, but he chose to exploit other people because he didn't mind taking risks with other people's resources. You follow me? And there are people in relationships. You know, they're like with people they don't want to be with, but they're like, I have a nice home. I have beautiful children. We go to church every morning. We go to two vacations a year and I have a nice wardrobe, but they don't really like the people that they're with. So to the contrary, my dear, all of us are not zombies. Right on, All right. Dr. Russell. We're uh, we had one more call I wanted to squeeze in. Did you get her question? Is that that you said you uh, answered her question, Dr. Russell? I'm cool. Oh, okay. Right on. Appreciate that. Thank you, Maya. And the final caller at one five three six one five three six. Did you have a question for Dr. Russell? Yes, I do. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Doctor. Um, this is a pleasure. My mind is completely blown tonight listening to you. Um, but I do have one single question that I hope you could answer. What impact does the corporation have on the spiritual health of black people? I'm pausing because I'm lining up the lexicon to try and give you a condensed answer because as Gus know, I can be tangential. What impact does the corporation have on the spiritual development of black people? Is that the essence yes. of your question? Yes, sir. Okay. First of all, keep in mind, corporation means to ration resources to the body. Number one. And so the corporation, as it rations, rations resources to the body, it makes readily available those things that are not good for the body. For example, junk food, alcohol, drugs. All right. Um, stuff that's not really our music, but crap to take us off focus. All those things are readily made available to us by the corporation because it 
um, allows us to make poor decisions by feeding our money back into the corporation by buying and purchasing things that are not good for us. Now, in terms of how that impacts our spiritual development is, if, if you are a really conscious, brilliant, loving, nurturing man, and you wind up with a voluptuous, very attractive mate for your companion, and all she wants to do is um, bake you your favorite food, screw your brains out, and tell you you look nice, when are you going to have time to be creative and spontaneous doing things that you'd like to do for the community? Hey, if you're really wrapped up into the Epicureanness of like Epicurean lifestyle of being pleased all the time and enjoying the companionship of your woman, and if she's the kind of woman that can't get enough of you, when are you going to have any time to be creative? So your spiritual part of your body is going to go underdeveloped. Your physical part might be pleased and basically anchored in the realm of physicality. So your spirituality will basically atrophy. So what the corporation does is it preoccupies us. Give you a concrete example. Um, Taraji did another one of her Christmas shows, which was cute, right? Taraji, the sister that has done Empire. A lot of black people were wrapped up in the Empire, looking at Empire, very entertaining, right? And as they look at it being entertaining, they oftentimes find themselves disconnected from the spiritual themes that they need to explore that are behind Empire. And what's behind empire is don't forget your history. But they restrict the history to the realm of physicality. Remember when blah, blah, blah did drugs and blah, blah, blah made this sacrifice for you in the realm of physicality and how it got your resources in the realm of physicality. So you forget about your spiritual person and you think about all the physical things that you are struggling and you're challenged with every day. So the corporation makes decisions out of the networks to feed you stuff that it knows will keep you at a certain mentality. And then you wind up thinking that you have a sanctuary on a Sunday and you go into a place of so-called worship. And then the minister reminds you quote of how God has blessed you with you having a so-called good job so that you can tithe and give more of your money back to this church of physicality versus you being a spiritual person and sharing what you have with people that are less fortunate than you. So the corporation, by its very nature, is designed to do what I shared with you earlier. It's designed to ration resources to the body. And when you ration resources to the body, you keep the body in a state of hunger. And as long as the body is hungry, the body is so preoccupied with taking care of its physical hunger that it neglects its spiritual thirst. You feel me? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you for your question. The website again, eyesofmaat.com. Eyesofmaat.com. It is linked in the description for the program. Uh, tech issues aside, uh, we got disconnected a time or two and had some interference, even getting Thomas in New York's line. But thankfully, we were able to uh, power through it and Dr. Rassan was patient uh, with us, even with the tech issues and what have you, and uh, not knowing that he was, I guess, available a little bit earlier uh, than I initially thought. But uh, thankful you could hang out with us for the 25th of December uh, and share some views. I know a lot of listeners, they're always uh, super appreciative <clears throat> when you can share a little bit of your time uh, and insight with us. So thanks for stopping by once again, and we will certainly look forward uh, in the new year to having you back with us uh, to share some suggestions, thoughts for trying to solve the problem of racism, white supremacy. Uh, thank you again. Anything you want to share before you uh, leave us? The only thing I want to share, which is this. I always tell you, sometimes you're so kind and polite to me. The question that I was struggling trying to answer for you in terms of trying to draw some comparison contrast with the current president and the president-elect, 
just be concrete, ask me and do what you did before. Um, Dr. Rashan, or Coco and Niana, brother, you are really answering my question. I told you, put me in the corner, put me up against the wall because I have a tremendous amount of respect for however you package your questions and I always enjoy your narratives. It's been a pleasure, it's been my honor to share my two cents worth with you on this particular day as we move away from the winter solstice back into a season that will set us up for spring to come. Eyesofma'at.com Eyesofma'at.com It's linked in the description. Uh, you can check out more of the information uh, and his, get his uh, email address as well if you want to drop him a line. I know he does respond. Some of our listeners have reached out to him uh, times he's been on the program in the past. Once again, our thanks and gratitude, Dr. Rasayan, uh, for listeners. We'll be here on Tuesday. Uh, we'll have a white woman back on the program, Dr. Glenda Gilmore. She wrote the book uh, Gender and Jim Crow. And then on Wednesday, we'll have two different non-white females who both have a white mother and a black father. Uh, it is amazing, the symmetry in their lives uh, and the specific details of how they're white mother has practiced racism uh, just to be able to see those patterns uh, this is what you can expect uh, when you have these tragic arrangements uh, this in my view it's not ignorance uh, there is a pattern uh, to how they function and practice racism in these arrangements it should be uh, fascinating they're in two different uh, locations but it's it's almost like they're twins that's Wednesday if you have questions uh, guest suggestions you can't find something in the archives drop us an email until justice at gmail Com. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope folks had a constructive day. If you spent time with family, I hope it was uh, replenishing. And if you were able to have some dialogue on racism, even better. Um, I will say again, sobriety would be best. I think uh, Dr. Rasayan touched on that. Uh, racist making alcohol readily available. Sobriety would be best. Certainly you should keep in mind that there are going to be sobriety checkpoints probably from now until 2017 with New Year's coming up. Uh, so that certainly would be a good reason if you're going to be behind the wheel, uh, even if you're going to be a driver, passenger, even if you're going to be a pedestrian, uh, I would keep that in mind uh, that it might be best to be sober. Uh, you never know when you're going to bump into Daniel Holtzclaw. Darren Wilson, uh, any other white person, badge or no, uh, it could be a real dangerous experience. And I mean quickly, because a lot of these situations, uh, it's like seconds uh, and things have become, you know, very combustible. So keep that in mind. I don't think being under the influence, alcohol, tobacco, we heard that in connection with uh, Nat King Cole, uh, cannabis, anything else, any of their narcotics. I don't think that that's going to help move us in the direction of solving this problem. Evidence, I think, bears that out. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Man, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.